Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. All right, good evening, Gecko fans out there. Uh, this is a special show. Um, it's an exclusive interview, the return of Lord Sasebeck, Mr. Matt Baronic from Sasebeck World of Reptiles. And uh, this is his first time back on the show after, uh, it's been a while, it's been a few months now. Um, tonight we're going to talk about white and yellows. And I, you know, if you guys are on Facebook and you're in the groups and you're seeing people posting white and yellows, White and yellows are sure to be huge. I mean, they're already big, but over the next few years in particular, it's pretty much been predicted that white and yellows are going to be everywhere. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing. It's a really good thing because they're incredible morphs. Um, I do believe, though, in the future we may have to deconstruct some of them, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe things are going to have a white and yellow in it, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But... Uh, one of the things I see a lot today, one of the questions that's just thrown at, you know, thrown at the groups and the pages over and over again is, is this gecko a white and yellow? And uh, there's definitely some some little subtle uh, variances with geckos, um, you know, white and yellow morphs. It's, sometimes it's very difficult to tell uh, which ones are white and yellows, and sometimes it's so obvious. So uh, tonight's your chance to learn about the white and yellow gene. And if you guys have questions, we're going to open the phone lines tonight. Okay, so uh, there's no new segment, so the, it's going to be the complete interview with Matt tonight. All right, folks. Now, the call-in number is 646-478-5331, and today is April 30th, 2014. Before we get started, though, of course, I just want to thank our amazing sponsors. I'm going to play part of the sponsor plug right now. Check it out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making. Known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his leopard gecko care app his Morph Encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com, to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred, exceptional lines of many different morph combinations, including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpetoculture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit ReptilesExpress.com and become a member today. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. 
Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. All right, folks, we are back. And uh, I have a couple cool announcements uh, to do uh, before we get started. Um, for callers tonight, we're going to do something special. Uh, Matt wants to uh, give a $100 gift certificate uh, for the raffle and uh, for our nightly raffle. So um, for those of you guys that have the courage to call in uh, with your questions, um, you guys will be entered into the raffle. I will do the drawing either tomorrow or the next day in the group. Uh, Gecko Nation on Facebook. Now, if you're a member of Gecko Nation on Facebook, you're seeing that the group is growing very, very quickly, and we have a lot of great things going on. I want to take the, take a minute to thank Ryan Loftus for his contributions of Why I'm So Broke articles, and they are basically an article that he does just about every week or so about a different species of gecko, and uh, he puts, puts pictures and just some great information about the particular species. And uh, it's just a great addition to the group. And I'd also like to thank our admins uh, for all the great work they do for keeping the group uh, as friendly and as helpful as it's been since day one. Okay, you guys are great. And, of course, to the members. Thank you all, everyone. Uh, please join the new Gecko Nation Marketplace. It's a new group. Uh, we're going to move the sales into a separate group so we can keep things separated. And I'm hoping that the Gecko Nation Marketplace will just be a great place a safe place for you guys to buy and sell your animals. And we'll do some auctions and stuff too. So keep that in mind. But it's got to grow bigger yet. We've got a few hundred in there I think now. Um, so guys that are in the Gecko Nation group transition into Gecko Nation marketplace as well. I'll put the link in the in the files for you. Um, now our sponsors are, are awesome. They're really great businesses. I'm really particular about who sponsors this show. And um, two of our, actually three of our sponsors run constant uh, well, usually constant uh, discounts for listeners. Uh, number one being AB Dragons. AB Dragons gives a 5% discount off your order of FlexWatt and Doobie Roaches uh, by using the word gecko at checkout. So take advantage, guys. Um, also, special promo for, for the month of, well, actually, till the, till the end of May. All right. Um, Rainbow Mealworms is giving 30% off mealworms and superworms. All right. And the code for that is Gecko Nation. Okay, so, excuse me, at checkout, you know, put your, fill out your order, type in Gecko Nation, and you're going to get 30% off their already great prices. Now, this one is an excellent promo, too. Uh, Reptiles Express is giving us a great promotional uh, code and, and discount for listeners of the show. And it's basically a 10% discount off orders of $50 or more. And Reptiles Express discount is already of the lowest of the, of the uh, shipping companies. And it's not off an inflated retail price number, you know, like some other companies do. It's already 
it's, a, it's off the already low prices, okay? And you can use it two times. So the code is Gecko Nation 10, all right? And this code is going to be good. I think it's to the end of May as well. Um, I have to clarify that. But uh, so please, guys, take advantage of these, and um, let me know how you like the, the businesses, these uh, sponsors. All right. Now, I'm not going to waste any more time. Uh, we're just going to play one more plug, and that is for Gecko Forums. If you guys are new to the show or new to the world of geckos, you have to get involved with Gecko Forums. Facebook is great, but uh, Facebook doesn't have, have the history of information that Gecko Forums does. So check this out real quick. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Herpentime Radio is my inspiration for GNR. Justin and JD do a terrific show every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern and have an amazing archive of shows available for download. Visit them at blogtalkradio.com slash herpentime and on Facebook. Okay, folks. I am going to go ahead and bring on Mr. Sasebeck Reptile, Matt Veronic. Matt, you're live on Nation Radio. Hey, Dave. How's it going tonight? Good. Good to have you back on the show. How you been, Matt? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, definitely been, you know, an interesting few months, but, uh, you know, everything's starting to settle back down and uh, getting, the, getting the season underway. Well, if it isn't interesting, it's boring, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Got to keep, uh, it's, it's, keep the blood flowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've definitely had the blood flowing for the past few months, um, and it's uh, definitely been, you know, an interesting transition, and, uh, you know, it definitely has its ups and downs, and it's, uh, you know, but we're getting through it, so, um, you know, hopefully we'll hatch out some cool uh, leopard geckos this year. Oh, we're all waiting to see what you're going to hatch out this year. I'm, I think, that, I think you know, just by the natural progression of things, you know, every year, your projects get a little better and a little better. And, um, you know, so so what's going on right now? How are your eggs flowing? Are you getting babies yet? What's going on? Um, the babies are just starting to hatch. Um, I've probably got, uh, I'd say somewhere between 50 and 100 babies on the ground right now. Um, and mm-hmm. there's probably five to 600 eggs. And most of the females are really just starting to, to, to start laying eggs. Um, so, <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, you know, so it's uh, yeah, it's one of those things that in a couple months um, it's definitely going to be a little bit crazier than it is now. This is just the uh, the slight calm before the storm, if you will. Right, right. And now this is now that you moved into your new facility, this is probably going to be your your biggest year as far as production, I would say, right? Um, possibly. Uh, I'm not exactly sure yet. I'm not one of those guys that likes to you know count his eggs before he gets them. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll definitely see, um, I think this year will be an interesting year just to see how the females, um, being, you know, moved and all that stuff. Uh, you know, some took 
move very, very well. Some, you know, it took them a little bit longer to settle in. Um, but that's just mm-hmm. the natural, you know, you know, way that leopard geckos are. I mean, the the building is much, much different. Temperature, humidity um, is all different than, you know, what it was in, you know, in a basement in Pennsylvania. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, you know, all factors that I've got to deal with, um, you know, because, you know, the heating and cooling system is totally different. Um, it's definitely drier in the new building. Um, I've found that I've had to, you know, spray lay boxes down more often and make sure that, you know, all the animals have, uh, you know, water available a little bit more often than it was, you know, in, in the basement setting. Um, the temperature fluctuations are definitely a little bit more as well. So it's it's all stuff that you have to kind of learn and adapt to and see, right. um, you know, how how everything works in the new facility. I mean, I've, I've actually changed a lot of stuff, even down to, like, how I clean and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's all pretty much, you know, well, not all of it, but a lot of it is new um, as far as what I'm doing and how I'm doing things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm sure you'll figure it out, that's for sure. I mean, every year things, uh, you know, change, it seems, with the weather and everything. I think we're always in a state of flux these days. Um, you know, it's just, it's weird. But, um, well, you know, Matt, I was thinking for this show, um, why don't we make this the go-to show for white and yellow information? So, you know, we can put a lot of the questions uh, to rest and maybe even um, delve a little bit into the history of, of how you pioneered it here in America and how you got them here, if you will. And um, what do you say to that? Uh, definitely we can do that. I can definitely give you as much information as I have on them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can definitely, you know, make it a archival, uh, you know, show. Cool. All right. Well, then let's start with that. Let's start with the history uh, of them and, and, you know, how you got started with them here. Uh, basically, I saw them um, basically in a post. Uh, whenever I first saw them, they were in a post on Geckos Unlimited that is still up today. Um, that Actually, I'll uh, put the link up on my face page uh, after the show um, so everybody mm-hmm. can see the, the first time that I actually saw them. And it okay. was one of those things where it, uh, you know, it was definitely a new genetic. It was only over in Europe at the time. And it's actually a very old genetic. Um, it's actually been around since the 90s. Um, mm. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, it, it actually has been around for quite a while. It just wasn't, you know, as readily available, and it wasn't worked on as much as, you know, some of the other morphs that, you know, have come along much you know, later that have been developed and marketed and, you know, uh, you know, bred to, you know, to the masses, basically. And mm-hmm. um, it kind of started that it was, you know, just something else that I wanted to mess with and uh, had the opportunity to send some animals over to Europe to be bred to a white and yellow and um, basically sent some of my best animals over to Europe uh, to be bred to a male that was over there. And uh, that was in 2008. I sent animals over there. Uh, and then in 2009, they were bred to the white and yellow male. The white and yellow male ended up being het for nothing, which was perfect because we sent over 
you know, pretty much every recessive trait, uh, you know, every trait imaginable um, to be bred to this white and yellow so that we could get babies back of all the, you know, all the different strains of albino, the, you know, blizzards, uh, patternless. Uh, we had, uh, you know, snows over there. There was even an enigma that was, you know, sent over. Um, and a lot of these animals were just multi-gene animals that, so we didn't have to send like 20 or 30 animals. We only sent like, you know, five or six to be bred. Um, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, this huge number of babies that were produced and stuff like that out of, you know, the, the groups that we were doing. And then I was fortunate enough to get males of all these crosses back um, in 2009. I actually got them back in September of 2009, and 2010 was the first year that I was actually breeding for white and yellow at that point. So let me ask you a quick question, though. Like, so basically you sent the animals over. Um, the male was used to breed to them. Did you get the animals back that season and hatch the eggs here, or were the eggs hatched there? No, the, the eggs were actually all hatched over there. Um, part of the agreement that we had set up was, um, you know, the new part, or the, the breeder could keep the, the females that were used, um, that way that she didn't have to send those back. Um, and huh. basically, uh, I think I got around 20 or so animals back. And there was, you know, uh, there was two or three animals per uh, breeding and almost all of them were males that were sent back. So hmm, from nice. that, I could, um, you know, we had, you know, white and yellows that were het for bell, white and yellows that were het for raptor, white and yellows that were het for rainwater. Um, uh, we had a, a G Project uh, cross that was over there that the babies that came back from that actually ended up being not het for albino, but they were het for eclipse. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, different genetics that came back over that were already crossed into white and yellow. So I had a, a, a good base to start from uh, whenever I got the animals back. That was a really smart, smart uh, move. And I, I'm guessing that at the time, you, you, you weren't sure of what was going to... I guess you probably had no clue of how, how big the gene would actually eventually be, right? Um, I kind of had an idea of big in the U.S., but I just had to get it over here and, you know, start working on it as soon as possible. And mm-hmm. uh, at the time that I got mine back, there was only, I think, one other breeder in the U.S. that had even brought white and yellows back. So I literally, you know, had to pioneer everything and see what was actually going to work with what and how the, you know, how the gene would act with different things. And that first year was the year that I, you know, really – got a better understanding of how the white and yellow gene works and how, um, you know, it can be expressed with other genetics and stuff like that. Okay. Now, you know, some we noticed that with the white and yellow gene, the most uh, expressive are seems to be the bells. I mean, you notice it usually right away with the bell albinos. Um, one of the questions that's coming up a lot lately is, um, and it's usually with the trimpers, um, is this a white and yellow or is it not? And uh, are you getting that question a lot? Uh, I've gotten that question a lot ever since the beginning, actually. Um, okay. And, and anybody that has gotten white and yellows, you know, they, you know, the first babies that hatch out, they're always like, well, is this white and yellow? Is this white and yellow? 
And, you know, there's there's definitely um, some gray area on some of them, but then there's others that will definitely, like, slap you in the face and you, you know, you know, as soon as they hatch that that's what they are. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the, the bell white and yellows, for instance, are um, very pronounced um, and they're very easy to, to distinguish right away. Um, some of the mm-hmm. other traits, um, you know, like uh, eclipse white and yellows are very easy to distinguish right away as well, um, especially whenever they're into the max snow already. Max snow white and yellows are very easy to distinguish right away. Um, the the trempery and the rainwater can be a little bit tough, um, especially if you're very new to white and yellow genetics and what to look for. Uh, mm-hmm. But you also have to understand that there's a lot in a lot of white and yellows. There's a couple other genetics that are at, you know in play as well that you gotta you know kind of contend with as well. That uh, because like the first. Um, the first cross that was actually ever done with the white and yellow was the hypo. So some of the, most of the animals have hypo in the lineage. And that can be, can actually like miss the generation and stuff like that and just pop out later. So you have to be very, very aware of the hypogenetic in the, in like these groupings as well. Because a lot of times people will hatch out a, an animal that has a hypo influence and think that it's a white and yellow, but it's actually not a white and yellow, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, And then also, whenever there's um, animals that are like het blizzard, het patternless, that are white and yellows, they sometimes don't always look like a white and yellow because the patternless and the blizzard can have an influence that kind of counteracts how the white and yellow works in some ways. And it makes them more mm-hmm. spotted, and um, they they definitely can look non-white and yellow as well. So you really have to know what the parents were, and what the babies should look like if they weren't white and yellow, and then use that as your baseline as to which ones are white and yellow and which ones are not. Okay. Yes. And as of right now, the white and yellow gene is a dominant, correct? It is a dominant. It is a dominant. Okay. Now, there's some rumblings around about there's, you know, a double copy white and yellow and this and that. What do you, what is, what is your uh, take on that? I do not believe that there is, and until somebody can prove otherwise, I, I stand by that wholeheartedly. Um, I've bred white and yellows together, um, and kept some of the babies back and bred those babies and I've never had an animal, never had a white and yellow that threw 100% white and yellows all the time. It just, it just, okay. in, in my opinion, it just doesn't happen. It's, uh, okay. it's kind of like the dominant snows where you can breed the two dominant snows together um, and you'll get more snows, but that doesn't make them two copy snows where all they throw is snows. It, it just right. it just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. You know, on paper, there there should be a you know quote unquote two copy white and yellow, um, but I've never heard of a proven one. And there's a lot of people in Europe that are working on it, and mm-hmm. I've I've never heard of a two copy white and yellow that's ever been proven or anything like that, or a super white and yellow if you want to call it that, because at that point right. that's pretty much what it would be. Um, I've never 
seen or actually heard of one. And like I said, this gene has been around for a long, long time. And uh, in Europe, there have been thousands of white and yellows produced. And mm-hmm. they, there's, there's been a couple breeders that have produced a lot of white and yellows. And I've never heard of a two-copied white and yellow. Um, it is like a proven thing. Um, in, okay. in my opinion, it's a straight dominant that you breed a white and yellow to anything. On average, half babies are going to be white and yellow. Um, and that's just the way it is. Um, you know, some people say it's polygenetic, and I definitely do not believe that because I've actually crossed a white and yellow to wild types and hatched white and yellows first generation. And if it's polygenetic, that never could happen. So it is, you know, definitely a proven dominant trait. And, I mean, there, there, are, there is some gray area that, you know, you have to kind of understand as well, like I was saying, where, you know, you could hatch out animals that look like a white and yellow, but it's actually the hypo-influence that's kind of messing with things. And, you know, those ones aren't white and yellows. And there's also, you know, animals that are actually white and yellows that they don't look like your stereotypical white and yellow. So it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those weird things where there's, you know, you breed a white and yellow to anything, you know, you're going to get babies that are slap you in the face white and yellows that you know for certain. You're going to get, you know, animals that are totally normal, and then you're going to get, like, this weird gray area animals every once in a while that you can't really tell, um, you know, what's technically going on with those animals. Um, sometimes whenever that animal gets to be a little bit bigger, you can tell right away that it's, you know, it's something different. Um, other times it will look different as a baby, but then as it gets older, it just looks like a normal or, or a, a non-white and yellow, I should say. So, um, okay. you know, there's, there's definitely animals that are like that, but, you know, most of the, you know, most of the white and yellows that are out there now, I mean, they're, they're pretty obvious because um, a lot of people, those, those middle ground animals, they don't really use those for breeding just because, you know, you want to be able to tell what your animal is. And um, right. a, lot, a lot of those just never get used as breeders or they get sold off as, as non-white and yellows um, because they, you know, they, they don't look like your traditional white and yellow, let's put it that way. Well, now, here's my next question about those gray area white and yellows. Uh, say you get a gray area white and yellow. Can a gray area white and yellow produce a stellar white and yellow? Uh, I don't believe so, um, but it's one of those things that uh, I don't really have the experience with it because I only keep back to, to breed like the, the, the coolest looking white and yellows. So a lot of those gray okay. area white and yellows I actually don't keep back. Um, some of the animals that I got back from Europe were those, like, gray area type animals, and they didn't produce white and yellows. Um, so that's why I say that I don't even use the ones that are kind of odd looking, because a lot of them prove out not to be white and yellows. Okay. And it's usually, right. it's well, usually because of the, of the hypo-influence that's, that's in the, you know, the background of white and yellows to begin with that causes that, you know, distortion of what the animal, you know, technically looks like. Gotcha. Okay, now here's another thing that I've heard. Um, Have you noticed any difference about 
using males, as far as the percentages, now you say it's 50-50 uh, dominant. So, you know, if you breed a white and yellow to a non-white and yellow, you're going to get 50% white and yellows. Now, say you're using a male or a female white and yellow for the pairing. Have you noticed percentages fluctuate in any direction uh, if you use a male or a female white and yellow? Uh, no, I've I've never really seen a difference in the fluctuation of you know what the averages are. Um, it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, a lot of times you know it's it's one of those things where you could get bad odds on you know one grouping and good odds on another grouping. So it's okay. you know it, it it's you know some people say that they get less than fifty percent white and yellows, um, which you know I can I can definitely see that happening. I mean some. Uh, you know, because you, you got to remember that every baby is like flipping a coin. So out of ten tries, you might get eight heads and two tails, or you might have it the other way. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's not always, you know, if you breed 100 animals, you're going to get 50 white and yellows, because that's, that's not exactly how it is. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. um, that's like something that you kind of have to always have in the back of your mind is, Sometimes the odds gods are with you, and sometimes they're not. And, you know, you, you kind of have to, uh, you know, make sacrifices to these odds gods every once in a while so that they can, uh, you know, shine a smile on you every once in a while. But, you right. know, definitely right. dealing with, um, definitely dealing with, like, you know, huge amounts of multi-hets and stuff like that, you know, trying to make certain projects. Um, I know the, you know, it, it, it often takes a lot of, babies to hatch out exactly what you're trying to go for. And, you know, it, it's just sometimes the genes just don't add up or don't line up correctly, um, you know, for whatever reason. And it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, like I said, not all, you know, you know, groupings of white and yellows will throw 50-50. Okay. Now, we've seen the bells. They're extraordinary as white and yellows. The checkers, some of them look really cool. Are there any morphs out there that you've found that it's just not even worth putting white and yellow into, like, because you can't even see it? Uh, Lizards, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, uh, on some of them you can tell it's a baby, but after they get, you know, to a certain age, you, you can't even tell that they're white and yellows. And it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, kind of pointless. It, it's almost like a uh, uh, white and yellow enigma. Um, or white, or not a white and yellow enigma, I'm sorry. A, uh, a, a blizzard enigma is, you, you can't really tell that it is unless it's spinning. You know what I mean? It's, you know, so it's one of those things where, you know, anything that's like super dominant like that, like a, a blizzard, on a pattern list you can tell as a baby, but as an adult, like you can't really tell either. Uh, that, that's a Murphy's pattern list, that's a pattern list, right? Um, so, you know, those are the only two that there's really not you know, as an adult, they don't look as great. And then, you know, you add the albinos and all that stuff into it. It's just all the same as well. Uh, snow. What about a like what 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 about a super snow raptor? Uh, super snow raptor, white and yellow. Um, that's that's actually a tricky question because if it is, you know, incubated at you know the higher temperature where it doesn't show the the tremper browning. Um, you know, the animal stays white. So you can never really see it unless the, you know, it's, it's the animal's been bred or, you know, something causes a stressor in the animal, whether it be like temperature or breeding, 
to cause the brown pigmentation to come out, then you might be able to see it. Um, mm-hmm. But I've actually had to sell Super Raptors that were probably white and yellows as Super Raptors just because, I mean, I've always, like, disclosed that they could be a white and yellow as well. Um, and actually, that was only, like, the really the first year that I tried, you know, tried the combination. Um, and mm-hmm. I've, you know, since not really tried to produce any more of them because you can't tell. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's the difference between a, a $200 animal and a $1,000 animal that, you know, back then, because of having the white and yellow genetic in it, uh, made it that much more sought after and expensive. So it was, you know, kind of a, uh, one of those, you know, animals that you can't tell exactly what it is. Um, but like I said, if it's, if it's incubated at a low temperature where the brown will actually, you know, come out in the animal, then it'll kind of have that, uh, you know, you can actually see less pigmentation or less spotting in a super snow or a super raptor white and yellow. I have some snow raptors, raptors here that, that have browned out. I incubated them uh, full term in, in the female incubator, and they actually look kind of cool. They're like gray and brown looking. I, uh, you know, I'm wondering how it looks as a white and yellow. Um, but yeah, I understand what you're saying though. With the super snow raptor, it could be tough. Wow, somebody must have got lucky with some super snow raptor white and yellows, then, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I haven't heard back from any of them. Um, and actually, one of my super raptor females proved out to be a white and yellow. Um, and hmm. but she's you know just solid white. I mean, you can't with red eyes, of course. You can't you can't really tell that she's a white and yellow at all. Um, I mean, the the best way to think of it is um, like a a like a bell super and or uh, a you know a bell super snow enigma. Think of it like mm-hmm. you know how the spots are you know less pronounced on the back of that than it would be on a super snow bell. Correct. That's, yep. that's 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 the look that you would see in uh, a, a super raptor white and yellow that you know had you know, the browning starting to come out. Okay. Hey, we talked about some of the, you know, the patternness and the blizzards not being worth really putting the white and yellow into for, you know, for visual, uh, you know, aesthetics. But what about Enigma white and yellows? I mean, in my opinion, I, I feel like, you know, why, why mix the two? It's like, you know, but, you know, some people are doing it and whatever, that's everybody reaches on. What do you, how do you feel about mixing white and yellows and Enigmas? Um, it's, it's definitely to each its own. Um, you know, some people mm-hmm. don't want to work with enigmas at all. Um, actually, I think it was two of the babies that originally came over to me were white and yellow enigmas head for bell because, uh, mm-hmm. we, we had sent over a, like a sun glow bell enigma to be bred to the white and yellow. And it was just babies from that. And, um, they, they're, they're definitely, you know, more pastel, more pasteled out as far as mm-hmm. what than what a normal enigma would look like. Um, so it is something that you know can be done, and it does give a different appearance um, to the animal. Um, so it's it's one of those things that uh, I, I I definitely see a lot of people in Europe doing it right now to having the enigma in it. And are you going to be able to deal with the drawbacks that the Enigma can have. Um, Mm -hmm. One of uh, the uh, white and yellow Enigmas that came over to me 
originally had no neurological symptoms at all, um, and I was kind of hopeful that maybe the white and yellow would kind of help it out a little bit. But after probably, I actually it was probably about three years of being perfectly normal, all of a sudden it went neurological. And, hmm. you know, I still have it to this day, um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a crocodile roller. I mean, it really is. I mean, you scare it, like it'll start flopping around like a little fish, and, you know, that's just the way it is. It it's definitely has some, you know, neurological issues that were not present the first three years of its life, but as it has gotten older, it started to show more symptoms. So hmm. it's one of those things where, you know... Sounds like, like a lot of like, people I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the older they get, the crazier they get, you know? So um, <laughs> I, think, I think we're all in that boat, actually. Um, Pretty much. But, uh, uh, yeah, or, or, you know, we wouldn't be doing this, you know? So, uh, right. But, you know, at, at, at first I did think that, you know, it might be something that could help out the enigma to, to make it, you know, less neural. But, you know, mm-hmm. as time went on with that specific animal, that's what happened to it. And, you know, after seeing that, like, I just didn't want to, you know, mess with it too much. Um, but I, I have uh, bred white and yellow Enigma stuff together, um, you know, simply to, you know, see the combinations that, like, what it would look like and how it could be produced and stuff like that. Um, I actually have, you know, uh, like, one of them is a, a Max Snow white and yellow Enigma radar. Uh, got the super form of it as well. Um, and it's just basically to see what the genes look like interacting. And it's, it's literally been just kind of like a line bred thing where, um, you know, 2010, I've read uh, the white and yellow Enigma, or the white and yellow Het Bell. Um, or actually, it was one of the white and yellow Enigma Het Bells um, to a Mac radar you know, bred that kind of in the same line, and that was just kind of the progression of it is, um, I think it was like 2012, I hatched up the uh, the MAC uh, radar, Enigma, white and yellow, and then the following year um, from that animal, I hatched up the, the Super Snow um, radar, Enigma, white and yellow. And, um, you know, that's, that's all the further I can really take it, so I really haven't done much, you know, with that project since. But it was one of those things where I wanted to see, you know, what it would look like. And, um, you know, I, I never sold any of them. I actually, the whole, the whole group is still at my facility, actually. Um, but it was just one of those things to see what it would look like and, you know, how the genes would interact. And, you know, since I had the animals already, that's, you know, just the, the path I chose to take with it. But, again, it comes back to having the responsibility of, you know, what are you going to do with those animals at that point? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if the enigmas get, you know, neuro and, you know, all that fun stuff, because definitely with enigmas, the more genes you put into them, the, the worse off they usually get. So you yeah. just got to be really, really careful on stacking genes on top of enigma and, um, you know, and the repercussions that it can have as well. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, you know, at the same time, like I said, it can make some really, really cool looking animals. But, you know, you, you've got to be prepared for, you know, the, the, the symptoms as well. Because, you know, I, I once thought the white and yellow could help it out a little bit. But, you know, it, it, it definitely, you know, proved not to. Um, so, you know, mixing them, 
is one of those things, like uh, like you said, it's to, to each your own. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in Europe are doing it, and you can actually, you know, see what they look like and all that fun stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely there's, you know, all the combinations can be made and stuff like that. Everybody's trying to be the first in the world to, to make certain things. So, you know, that kind of drive can, can put them into that, you know, area where, you know, they want to mix white and yellow and enigma just to see, you know, what it does. And do you think um, the offspring of a white and yellow enigma uh, pairing, do you think, um, it, 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 you know, I know the enigmas often show some eye pigmentation as well, but not, sometimes not so much. Do you think that it could be difficult to determine if the enigma gene uh, is in some of the offspring or not, if they're not spinning? Uh, no, I believe that when mixing the enigma in white and yellow, you can definitely tell when the enigma and the white and yellow are in whatever animal it is. Um, they're, okay. they're different enough to be able to tell. Um, you know, the enigma is a very, very extreme genetic. So it is very, very easy to tell that that gene is in an animal. Um, mm-hmm. Not just, you know, from the spinning, from what the appearance of the actual animal looks like. Um, a lot of Max Snow enigmas don't have, like, the, you know, the orangish pigmentation in the eyes, like, you know, a lot of people associate with the enigmas. So in that mm-hmm. aspect, you wouldn't be able to see um, or any any super, you know, uh, super snow, uh, raptor eclipse that have solid eyes, you wouldn't be able to see the, the eye pigmentation. Um, but you'd still be able to see the, the patterning on the animal on a lot of those cases and be able to tell that there is the enigma gene in there. Okay. And, and you know, you've often said that you believe that somewhere in the history of these genetics that the uh, the white and yellow gene and the enigma gene could have been uh, together or from a, you know, from a similar lineage. Uh, maybe you can explain a little bit about that theory? Um, I, it's just kind of a theory that I've had that, like, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I personally don't believe that uh, the enigma was, produced how it was said that it was produced, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just, you know, inside information type stuff that, you know, I can't really go into. But um, I do believe, you know, that maybe at one point there was something that they were, you know, close with, closely related. Um, I, I do, you know, they they are definitely different at this point, um, but they definitely do show some similarities in some ways. Uh, what I tell people now is that it's almost like in ball pythons, the difference between like a spider and a woma, where they they both mess up the pattern, and they both can have some weird side effects um, to like what's going on like as far as like how they can influence other genetics and stuff like that. And, you know, the spider being the the very, very extreme end, and then the Wilma isn't as extreme as the spider is. Um, That's kind of how, like, I categorize it at this point, um, because in all reality, it doesn't matter where these two genetics um, 
like came from or if they ever were the same genetics that have just been kind of separated and like, you know, messed with a little bit. Uh, so at this point, like it is what it is. And these two genetics are out there and, you know, we're, we're using those to breed, you know, and make different combinations and stuff like that. How, how they came about is really irrelevant in the, in the, in, you know, the grand scheme of things at this point. Okay. Um, all right. Now, we know that the Enigma gene has its drawbacks. And, you know, white and yellows have been um, promoted, I guess, by you and others as uh, enigmas that don't spin. Um, now, besides, you know, the, the effects that it has on uh, the, the, the color and appearance, do they, do there, is there any, um, does it affect the eye pigmentation at all, the white and yellow gene, and also... Have you noticed any kind of neurological effects uh, from the white and yellow gene? All right. This is kind of a tricky question. Um, <laughs> there is no difference in eye pigmentation as far as a white and yellow and a normal. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, okay. not like the enigma has, you know, that reddish hue to the eye. Um, mm -hmm. There, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, type of deals. Um, as far as the the next topic goes, all right, let's put let's put it this way. Um, every single white and yellow that I own stems from one male. Okay, the male that was in Europe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say that at this point, ninety percent of the white and yellows in the United States come from that one male. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that being okay. said, a lot of animals can be traced back to one specific male. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of white and yellows that are perfectly normal. Okay? And mm -hmm. there, there have been some white and yellows that have shown neurological signs. And very, very few, though. Very, very few. And um, I will say that I hashed out a white and yellow that was slightly neuro. Um, it's, it's a different type of neuro than, um, than the Enigma. The Enigma is more of a stargazing, um, you know, kind of not really knowing where it is in space, like the whole animal, mm -hmm. not knowing where it is in space. You know, it's kind of... It, it, it's, it, it acts like a vestibular disease where it, and I don't know if any of you listeners out there have ever seen a dog that has vestibular disease, which is basically, you know, something wrong with the inner ear that makes the dog think that the world is literally spinning around. It doesn't know, you know, where it is in relationship to the earth. Let's put it that way. And right. if you ever see a, a dog with vestibular disease, like their eyeballs are actually like shaking back and forth because the brain does not know how to stop everything from spinning. So the eyes are trying to, you know, you know, steady the shift, if you will. But actually the dog is perfectly still, but the eyes are shaking back and forth and it's like a brain issue. Okay. The, I had a couple of nights the, like that when I was uh, in my early 20s. Yeah, yeah, and basically anybody that's ever been out drinking very, very heavily and you turned off the light and the world is spinning, yeah, that's kind of 
probably how enigmas feel every <laughs> single day, all day. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and, and for you young listeners, never do that. Like, just don't think of course that not. not worth it. Exactly. Um, but uh, the white and yellow that I hatched out that was neuro, it was more like it's, it didn't, like, it knew where it was in the world, but its body, it, like, almost had trouble controlling its body movements, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And this animal that I hatched out, I actually named him Spinner because I was like, oh, it's kind of a cool name. Like, I'll just name him Spinner and, you know, I'm just going to keep him and see, you know, what happens. And it was one of those things that it was one of the first two years that I was breeding white and yellows and I wanted to see what was really going on. So what I did was I actually bred Spinner to two females to see the, you know, the neurological symptoms were reproducible. And in my breedings, the, all the non-white and yellows were perfectly normal. And then, you know, the, uh, the white and yellows, some of them showed neurological signs. So immediately, you know, Spinner was definitely taken out of breeding projects, and so were those babies. And, um, but at least I knew that if you got an animal with a neurological disorder like that, it is reproducible, and you don't want that in your breeding stock to begin with. Um, yep. I've actually had an, another animal that, uh, that was actually from a different line of animals that I sent, uh, sent to a customer, and, you know, it was fine whenever it left. Whenever it got there after shipping, it developed kind of a, a weirdness to it. Um, and uh, I actually got that animal back, and, um, you know, it was a little bit weird whenever it came back, and then it kind of cleared up on its own. Um, so there was, there was that case, but, I mean, so literally there's only been, you know, the, the two cases, like the one that was in shipping, the other one that was hatched out, and then the babies of the one that I hatched that I was, you know, test breeding to see how, how genetic it was. So what my recommendation is to anybody that would get a white and yellow that, you know, or, or I should say hatch a white and yellow, because if you buy a white and yellow that has all these weird stuff going on, you, you better, like, go back and talk to the breeder and be like, hey, listen, like, you know, something's not right here. Um, What's up and, with that? You know, yeah. Have, yeah, yeah, exactly, and then take it up with, your, take it up with your bre- the breeder that you got it from. But if you hatch out an animal that has any sort of weirdness to that, um, no matter whether it is a white and yellow or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, those type of animals just shouldn't be used in breeding projects to begin with. I mean, you want to always, you know, use your, your best animals to, you know, continue lines of things. You don't want to use animals that are, well, this one looks really, really cool, but, you know, he's spinning around in circles. You, you don't want to, you don't want to, to do that because, um, that's whenever you get yourself into trouble. I would always rather have an animal that is not as spe- spectacular looking, like health-wise, it's like a bull. You, you know what I mean? Because yeah. those are the animals that you want to reproduce. Um, you know, it, it's like I've said before, like we are basically naturally selecting these animals. And if you start naturally selecting animals that aren't fit and they wouldn't be able to make it in, in you know, in a in a naturalistic setting, like 
that's whenever you start getting into problems. Uh, and, you know, all these morphs, they, they wouldn't be able to make it in a naturalistic setting. I'm just talking from the, the overall health standpoint of the animal. Um, you physical, want to select physical out, characteristics, yeah, right? Yeah the, yeah, the physical characteristics, um, uh, you, you want to definitely select out the best animals that you can to, to use as, as breeding stock and, and stuff like that. So, you know, so back to your, your question, can the white and yellows have weirdness to them? There, there have been a couple of reported cases of it. Is it enough to really worry people? In my opinion, no. I mean, I've produced thousands of white and yellows at this point, and to have, you know, a handful out of a thousand be messed up, pretty good odds to me. And like I said before, you know, all of the, you know, most of the white, uh, I'm not going to say all the white and yellows in the U.S., but most of the white and yellows in the U.S., um, you know, come from one male in, in Europe. Um, the only other ones, you know, that were brought in, there's two other breeders that actually brought some in from Europe. All the rest of them were, were somewhere, uh, you know, actually at this point there might be three other breeders that have brought in stuff in. But, you know, other than that, like the, the rest of them have all been from, you know, one foundation male basically um, and can be traced back to a lot of that stuff. Now, this little neurological thing that very few white and yellows have, I've seen it, you know, I have a tangerine male that has that here. I mean, it, that same, I wouldn't even say it's, you know, a white and yellow thing. I would say it's just a, a leopard gecko thing in general, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, and at that point, like, I've, I've seen other animals um, that are, you know, not enigmas or not white and yellows that have had neurological issues. Um, and mm-hmm. I've, I've seen animals that haven't even been related to enigmas or white and yellows that have had neurological issues. So um, I've actually, mm-hmm. you know, just got uh, got an animal in um, from, you know, a, a well-known breeder that, um, you know, that I acquired his whole collection that, you know, one of the animals was a little bit weird and he even told me about it. And it's, uh, and, you know, his stuff is so line-bred that, you know, there, there wasn't any enigma or anything that, like, touched it. You know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, it, there, there's always that possibility that, you know, you can just have an animal that's just not, you know, just not right. And it's, it's one of those factors that you just have to understand being a breeder is that, um, you know, you can get animals that are just off. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, we could probably devote a whole show uh, to enigmas, and, you know, maybe one day we'll do that. Um, I do have a quick question, though. Um, okay. You know, with the, with the neurological symptoms with the enigmas, um, you know, you, you definitely said that some can be normal and then develop later on. Um, that was the case. That was the case with the... Uh, a gecko I have where it was fine for a while and it's a bell, but it's fine for a while, but then it later developed the symptoms in life. And I'm just curious that if I, you know, I'm not going to breed it, but if I were to breed it, you know, are those neurological symptoms guaranteed to be passed down or can a, an enigma with uh, neurological symptoms create enigmas that show little to no signs of it? Um, I, I think that it can happen both ways um, where, you know, uh, enigmas that do have the neurological symptoms um, can throw babies that they're not as visible. Um, I mm-hmm. believe that I, I believe that all enigmas, you know, show 
signs or symptoms at some point at some level. And unfortunately, it's just part of, you know, it, they, they just go hand in hand, the enigma and the, the, the weirdness. And, you know, I always tell people it's just like a spider ball python um, where, you know, it, it whacks out the pattern totally, but you can have some issues. Um, you know, right. unfortunately, you know, with enigmas, you know, the issues get to the point where the animal will stop eating and it'll just kind of waste away. And like, at least with a spider ball python, uh, a lot of spider ball pythons are actually better feeders than any other, any other, you know, morph that's out there. Um, so that's mm-hmm. at least, you know, it's, it's kind of a positive that, you know, that they're at least better feeders. Um, so they might have a wobble, but they, they always still eat well. Um, or, you know, for the most part, uh, I can't say that like every single animal, cause I'm not really a ball python guy, but, um, you know, that, yeah. that's just kind of the, the stigma that they have. Um, as far as like my experiences with enigmas and stuff like that, um, you know, enigmas that are out of, you know, first, second, sometimes third clutches are usually stronger and better and they don't show as much of the symptoms. Once you start getting into, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh clutch, like that's whenever you start getting animals that they just don't have the, the, you know, the nutrients from the mother that, you know, can help to counteract the, the bad stuff that's going to happen. Um, so mm-hmm. usually enigmas that are in later clutches, you know, have symptoms worse. Um, also, like I said before, whenever you start stacking genes on top of enigma, those animals are typically worse as well. Um, so you just, so, you know, the worst thing that you can be if you're an enigma is like a five gene animal and you're the seventh clutch out. Like you're, you're <laughs> just screwed. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things that, like, you're you're just you're you're happy to make it out of the egg, and that's about it. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, um, you know, it's just little things like that that you just have to be aware of. Like, usually, you know, I, I've always said that you know, first, second clutch enigmas are usually better. They're usually stronger, um, you know, but the later clutches usually are a little bit more, you know, wobbly. Um, wow. And you know, same yeah. th- same thing with genetic stuff. Um, you know, the, the more genet- genetics you throw into an animal, the weaker um, it usually is. Um, so as long as you kind of follow those kind of, you know, semi-guideline rules with enigmas, um, you can kind of, you know, help prevent a little bit of the, the craziness. But, you know, if you're having, you know, one, two clutches, usually clutches four, five, and six happen. So it's one of those things that you can't just, you know, stop the process you know, midstream unless you're just, you know, throwing the eggs away at that point, which, you know, mm-hmm. that's not really, you know, the whole other ethical issue for another another time. So, um, right. you know, that, it's just things that you just have to be aware of if you're a gecko breeder and you just have to weigh your options and, you know, they're, they're not for everybody. Um, but, you know, by no means am I telling people not to do, like, what they want to do. But, you know, at the same time, like, it's, it's one of those things that you've got to be a responsible breeder. And, um, you know, if you are going to produce them, you've got to, you know, you've got to warn your customers about, you know, that they can develop stuff later. You've got to be willing to, you know, unfortunately end, end an animal's life if it's, if it's, you know, if the quality of life for that animal is, is no longer good. I mean, you, you've got to be able to be able to handle that and if you can't handle that then 
enigmas definitely aren't for you. Yeah. That's, have you all but ceased working with enigmas now? Um, what I tell people is I have stopped selling them. Um, I, they're, they're definitely still in my collection, um, and it's just kind of one of those things of, you know, being a genetic freak that, uh, like, I have to have it in my collection. Um, as yeah. far as really trying to reproduce them, um, I don't, you know, try to reproduce them at this point um, unless it is for, um, you know, me tr- my own knowledge as far as, you know, what combinations will look like or, you know, trying to figure out more about the Enigma. Um, like a lot of people, um, you know, they're, they're trying to breed the symptoms out of it. Like I've tried to do that for a long time and I've, I've pretty much given up on that point. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I still own some. Um, you know, most of the ones that I own are, you know, kind of whacked out. So, you know, it's, it's not mm-hmm. fair to them to, you know, just go to, you know, Timmy's house that he's 12 and it's his first gecko and he doesn't even have the right setup for the animal and the animal dies within two weeks. I mean, at least at my place I can keep an eye on them um, and know, you know, what's going on with their life and, you know, if I have to, like, you know, I have to hand feed them. Um, so, right. I, you know, I, I definitely don't have a lot of enigmas. Um, you know, actually with collection that I just acquired, um, that actually doubled my enigma. Uh, the amount of enigmas that I have in my collection, and it's still under 20. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where I I don't have a lot of them, but, yes, I do have some. um, Like the, uh, like I still have the first dream sickle. Um, You know, he'll he'll spend all of his days with me just because, to me, that was, uh, you know, that animal was a, a signature animal to me. And, you know, whenever I produced it, it was, you know, the first of its kind in the world. Uh, you know, I got to name it, all that fun stuff. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just a pet to me. You know what I mean? He's, he's you know, perfectly happy, healthy. He's, I mean, at this point, he's, uh, man, he was born in, I think, January of, like, 2008 or something like that. So he's, he's like, eight years old already. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely getting up there in age and he's still, you know, healthy and he still, you know, eats every day and, you know, he's, he's still a good animal. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, and it, it's really funny that like he is one of the only enigmas that I've ever seen that he doesn't show any signs of neuro, but it might be that he's just so placid that like he just doesn't move. Like, so, um, he, he might be spinning around, but he just stays in one spot. So he doesn't really, uh, <laughs> He doesn't really show anything to me, but... Um, uh, let, but me ask, yeah, like, let me just jump in. Let me ask you this, though, Matt. You know, um, okay. with, with in humans, and, and then after this, i got to take a quick break, but um, in humans, we've noticed, like, with autism, um, sometimes some of these neurological diseases and things can increase other abilities in people. And I've noticed that a couple of my enigmas just seem to be a little bit more intelligent than an average gecko, yet they are flawed in other ways. Um, have you noticed anything like that? Uh, the only personality things that I've really noticed over the years um, have been albino junk. Like albino giants are very, very placid, and blizzards will bite your hand off. <laughs> and, and, 
Um, especially but, Marsh's blizzards, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah, especially like the, the pure blizzards that haven't been like outcrossed a whole lot and stuff like that. Those are the ones that are, you know, a little bit more bitey a lot of the time. Cachalotus are like very, very vocal um, for the most part, especially as babies. Uh, other other traits of certain animals. Um, th- those are the big ones. Um, albinos, like, first, you know, I mean, of course, the bell albinos, like, they hate sunlight. They're like little vampires um, that mm-hmm. I think they would just, like, burn up and, you know, disintegrate if they saw light. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's more of like a, a physical thing where they're just super light sensitive. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, definitely it, as far as pets go, a lot of time I actually suggest albinos, um, because they're, they're usually a little bit more calm. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah. as far as like, uh, you know, super intelligence, um, you know, it, that's, I think that's up to the actual animal itself. Um, a lot of my agrimanyu that I have are, are very, very social to the point where they're not scared of anything. They will literally come over to your hand and they'll look at you. Um, they are, they are very, very incredible. Um, I, I think actually John Scarborough has a video of, um, you know, his agrimanyu. He'll actually leave because he has them in the exoteric cages. And he actually will leave the door open, and the agrimani will come to the door and just wait for food and just kind of wow. sit there. And so, I mean, as far as, like, that kind of stuff goes, um, you know, definitely some morphs have, like, their little, you know, their little nuances about them. Um, as far mm-hmm. as, like, you know, certain morphs being more intelligent than others, uh, you know, I haven't really, you know, tested the, you know, the blue square and red triangle thing to see which one, you know, they know which one to get food. But, um, you know, it's, uh-huh. you know, it's one of those things where, you know, some morphs definitely have their quirks to them. Um, and you just have to be aware of them in a way. And a lot of times, like people wouldn't even notice them unless they were working with these animals, like on a daily basis. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break folks. And, uh, in the second half of the show, we're opening the phone lines, and uh, Matt's gracious. He's going to be giving a $100 uh, credit to, uh, to our nightly raffle. So uh, people that call into the show, I'm going to keep track of your, your names and numbers because it shows up in the call queue. And uh, call in with your questions, uh, preferably related to white and yellows and other leopard gecko stuff. And uh, tomorrow or the next day, I'll enter your names into they, a random. They can ask, uh, they can ask any questions. Let, let them ask any question. Any question. Whatever they let, 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 okay. Let's, let's get let's, let's get some good ones. Okay, let's make it interesting. Whatever you guys <laughs> uh, want to ask, feel free to call in. That's fine with me too. Um, yep, and, and we'll be you'll you'll get entered into our nightly uh, wrap. All right, so Matt, hang tight. We'll be right back, and here is a word from our the rest of our sponsors. We played the first uh, group in the beginning, and now it's the second group of our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in tonight, folks. Stand, stay tuned. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at Expos in the Northeast. 
He is also the owner of GeckoForums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need, from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit supremegecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets, for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. All right, folks, we are back, and uh, there's a couple uh, promotions that I have to make you aware of for tonight. Um, of course, the normal uh, discount is always available at AB Dragons. I mentioned, uh, use the word gecko at checkout, and you're going to get a 5% uh, discount off your orders. And also, uh, rainbow mealworms. So, so the end of May, you're going to get 30% off mealworms and superworms uh, and giant mealworms. So we don't really use giants uh, for the geckos. Uh, by using the code Gecko Nation. All right, use that all caps, and you're going to get 30% off, folks. Um, and last but not least, Reptiles Express is giving us a great uh, discount, uh, and it's good for two uh, two different of your orders, okay? It's a 10% discount orders off of orders $50 or more, okay? And you can use it twice. And Reptiles Express already has super low prices, so this discount isn't like a discount off of an inflated price. You know, some companies will raise their prices and then give you a discount, and it's kind of like they're just breaking even. Anyway, this is not like that. This is the real deal discount. And uh, just mention, uh, actually use the word all in caps, Gecko Nation 10 at checkout with Reptiles Express. And if you're a little confused about the shipping process, uh, contact Reptiles Express, ask for Debbie, and she's a sweetheart. She will talk you through the whole process. And uh, I call Debbie the queen of customer service. She is by far the most kindest person I've ever dealt with. I've been using Reptiles Express since I started shipping, and I'll be, I'm never going to switch. It's just the best company for that. So uh, www.reptilesexpress.com. All right, folks, we're going to get back into the second half of the interview with Matt Baronic now. And uh, like I said earlier, this is your chance to call in with your questions. We already have a bunch of people lining up in the chat room. One of you lucky callers is going to get entered into a raffle for a $100 credit off of one of Matt's geckos. But the call-in number is 646-478-5331. All right, I'm bringing Matt back. And let's see. Um, Matt, are you ready for our first caller? Let's do it. All right. We're going to take the caller that's been on the longest. Caller from the uh, 530 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Radio. Hey, how's it going, Dave? How's it going, Matt? This is Jeff. Hey, Hey, Jeff. Jeff, How are you? Hey, Jeff. How are 
Good, good. Ooh, I can do hear I hear your radio echoing in the, in the background, Jeff? Background, Jeff. No, I'm in, I'm in the. I'm my computer's not even on. Oh, that's weird. All right, I'm hearing an yeah. echo. Echo. Go ahead. Echo. Go ahead. Echo. Echo. I got. I got like a million <laughs> questions for Matt. <laughs> Go, um, ahead, shoot. Go ahead. Shoot. <laughs> you guys want to come help me clean um, gecko poop? No. No thanks. What are the pros and? <laughs> Here's a serious one. Whoa, me serious? What 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 are the pros and cons of breeding white and yellow to white and yellow? What what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Uh, pros and cons. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you've delved in it. To be perfectly honest with you, I've only done it a handful of times, and I usually just breed white and yellow to non-white and yellow, because I don't really see the need to breed white and yellow to white and yellow, if that makes sense. Because I would I would rather have... You know the, the the option to have you know white and yellow babies and non white and yellow babies. Uh, I don't really want like a super high percentage white and yellows. Uh, and to be honest, I don't think that there is uh, a lot of you know to really you know do as far as putting white and yellow and white and yellow together. I mean, you might get a higher percentage of white and yellow offspring. But, you know, to me, that's I don't really care about the high percentage of white and yellow offspring. So as far as pros and cons, like there's not really a pro or a con in my eyes because it's uh, I, I don't really do it a whole lot. So it's, you know, that's uh, hopefully I answered your question. It's kind of like a rambling uh, runaround there. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have a pro or a con, you know, in you know, breeding white and yellow to white and yellow. I know a lot of people are trying it this year, and, you know, I wish them the best of luck, you know, doing it. But to me, it's, you know, it's a dominant trait. So, you know, there's really no sense in, you know, breeding white and yellow to white and yellow. I I would rather mix a bunch of more different genetic stuff together um, and breed non-white and yellow to to a white and yellow than to, to breed white and yellow to white and yellow. Okay, I didn't mute him, but I'm going to bring him back on for his next question because it seems like okay. it's his connection that's closing the echo. But uh, all right, Jeff, I'm going to bring you back on, ask your next question, and I'll mute you again. <laughs> Unmute. Okay, my next question. Do I have to have two? <laughs> um, I think the oh, echo's gone. Right. The echo's gone. Oh, okay. No, are you going to have Are you going to have any um, <laughs> anger menu for sale this year, Matt? Uh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, I should have some agar menu for sale. I got the first two eggs uh, last week. Um, you know, so hopefully, uh, you know, I'll have some babies, you know, God willing. And, uh, you know, I have probably, I think, like 13, 14 adults. Um, so, you know, there definitely should be some babies this year, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, it's but, one of those things you can't, you can't, uh, can't count your eggs before they hatch, so hopefully I have some. Usually the agrimenu go later in the year for most people, so I think a lot of the females will go later in the year. And then I also have, um, I think, like three or four different bloodlines and then two different provinces right now. Um, and then actually uh, John from Gekobo, I think he has like a third province and there might be a fourth one um, coming soon. So there's there's definitely some cool stuff 
happening with the agri menu. Um, so we'll we'll see. I mean, hopefully I can hatch out some babies, and you know, if I hatch out enough of them, then there'll definitely be some for sale. Unmute. Cool, cool. No, it's those are two two main questions. I, I kind of always wondered about the white and yellow, white and yellow thing. Of course, I'm trying it. I've got a few now that are from white and yellow to white and yellow, and they didn't look. Uh, two of them didn't look white and yellow as babies, but as they grow, you can tell uh, the yeah. high white sides. And yeah, I mean, have, have, you, have, have, you, have, have you gotten you, a higher percentage gotten a higher of white and yellow instead of breeding white and yellow to white and yellow? Unmute. Um, yeah, on the two pairings that I did, I they, they were all white and yellow. Oh, okay. But, oh, okay. yeah, they were first-year females, so I didn't get the, I only got two eggs from each of them that were oh, good. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So it wasn't I, really, still, like a huge, really like a huge sample size or anything like that? Really no, it's, really it's know. yeah, it's too early to tell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so. Hey, do you have any other questions at all, Jeff? Um... No, not off the top of my head. We'll we'll let some of the other callers get some questions in. Okay. I got an echo thing going on. Thank you. <laughs> yep, no problem. Yep. All right. All right. Let's go ahead and take uh let's see, who's another been been on pretty long? Ah, oh, here we go. Uh see this I think this is Chrissy. Uh Chrissy, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, good. good. How, how are you, are you? Chrissy? I'm very good. Um, I kind of forgot that I was uh, in the queue. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I, I do actually have a question. Um, to start, I am a big fan of Enigmas. They are one of my absolute favorite morphs. I love how they uh, – I just love what they do to the geckos. And um, do you kind of see white and yellow sort of uh, kind of taking over the Enigmas um, to the point where even like they just sort of get phased out and people just don't use them anymore? Possibly. Um, I think there's always going to be a place for enigmas just because they they whack everything out so much. Um, I think the thing that really hurt the enigmas was was the, the neurological stuff. Um, if you would never see the neurological stuff, I think they would still actually be more popular than the white and yellows, to be totally honest. Um, yeah. And you might not have ever heard of the white and yellows because, to me, getting the white and yellows was kind of an alternative to the Enigma because I knew how bad the Enigma, you know, syndrome was um, because, you know, I was one of the first people working with a lot of the combinations and stuff like that and breeding Enigmas on a larger scale. And I saw how bad it was and I needed something to, you know, the same but different, you know what I mean? Um, so I don't think that, I don't think it'll ever, it, and I probably shouldn't say this because it's, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, but white and yellows will have their day as well where they're not sought after as much as they are right now as well. Um, right. It, it happens with, with every single morph, and I think whenever that day comes for white and yellows, the, the really good white and yellows that are, you know, highly line-bred and very, very colorful, there's always going to be a place for those. It's going to be your everyday white and yellow that just doesn't have that wow factor. Those are the ones that you're going to, you know, start to see that the price is really, really dropped. Um, and, you know, they're going to be very, a lot more available to everybody. Um, but as far as, like, taking over for, you know, enigmas, I, I don't think that really is, you know, like, I don't think it's going to wipe enigmas totally off the map, no. 
Um, I think that there's always going to be people that want enigmas and want to work with them, even though there is the neurological thing. And like I said before, I don't think that, you know, white and yellow is taking over for the enigma. I think that the enigma syndrome is causing people not to want to work with them as, as much. And I think the white and yellow is kind of, you know, kind of that alternative, um, you know, it's to, you know, have something that whacks out the pattern and doesn't have as much of, you know, the the craziness going on as far as, you know, the the, the wobbling and stuff like that. Right, right, right on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to answer my question. No problem, no problem. Have a great night. Thanks, Chrissy. You too. Thanks, Dave. Yep. Okay. Hey, Matt, uh, before I take the next call, uh, uh, Crystal in the group um, asked on the, on, the, um, on the post for the show, she says, uh, white and yellows are going to be a popular subject tonight, uh, so I want to know if a white and yellow is a color and answer, and can you just breed it to everything to get something amazing? And also she asks, what are you guys looking forward to with your white and yellow projects? And I'll let you t- tackle that. You kind of touched on it a little bit anyway, but go right ahead. All right. Um, yeah, like, like I said, not all white and yellows are created equal. Um, they can definitely be line bred, which is actually a positive that they would have over the Enigma. Um, because Enigmas, like, it was really hard to actually line breed them. Um, we, we tried line breeding them, and you would get, like, crazy awesome ones, and then you would get, you know, ugly ones as well. So it was very, very hard to line breed those. White and yellows, it seems that there is a better opportunity to line breed for color and pattern without really messing anything up. Um, so in that aspect, you know, there's, there's always going to be a higher echelon of white and yellows uh, that have certain traits, and there's always going to be a lower end um, that are, are definitely going to be cheaper and kind of uh, there, there's just going to be a, a huge difference in the white and yellows. And I think the more white and yellows are produced, the more you're going to see a huge difference in that aspect of white and yellows. As far as white and yellow stuff that I'm working on, um, there's really nothing, like, too new and crazy because a lot of the stuff I've already, you know, started or am am doing. Um, But a lot of it is, like, that continuing of the line breeding stuff, Um, you know, the the weirder colors and certain things that I'm doing with them to to make the colors um, either more orange or less orange or more lavender, like, there's certain things that you can do with it to, you know, create different looks and stuff like that. And that's more of the white and yellow project stuff that I'm working on than the genetic combination of stuff. Um, you know, I just recently hashed out uh, a, a Tug Snow white and yellow uh, and Marble Eye and a Tug Snow white and yellow Marble Eye Tremper. Um, so those were like new combination things that like hatched out this year that I think those are probably first of their kind um, in the world. Um, but at the same time, like they're, you know, they're not as wow factor as, you know, a, a, a good like line bread, um, you know, tangerine or emerine white and yellow. Um, so th- there's always going to be that room for those, those color white and yellows that, uh, there is kind of like a color enhancer to a white and yellow, but it's not really an enhancer. It's actually kind of a, it just makes everything more pastel. Um, so instead mm-hmm. of getting like 
a red color, you would get like a yellowish-orange type color. But, you know, it also increases the lavender and the green a little bit as well. So there's, there's different, like, drawbacks. That's why um, whenever I was talking to, you know, to Jeff about, like, the white and yellow to white and yellow, I actually like producing white and yellows and non-white and yellows, like, equally. Um, so that's why I don't do a lot of white and yellow, white and yellow crosses. It's not, you know, because of inbreeding or anything like that. Or, you know, it, it's literally because I like to have the variety um, because from the variety, that's what stems other projects to go in different directions and stuff like that. So um, hopefully that answered all of her questions, I think, that she had. Um, if not, yeah. let's just yeah. ask me the, the other one. Yeah, no, that pretty much did it. Um, Steph uh, Shamber in the, in the chat room asked, um, she's curious if the white and yellow would do something funky to either the G Project or Emmerine geckos. Uh, just, I've seen some... Uh, white and yellow emmerines that look just as good as normal emmerines, and then I've seen some really crazy ones. But you know more than me on this, uh, Matt. What do you think? Uh, again, it's uh, it depends on you know the the certain animals that are being used. I mean, the G Project stuff. I I even tell people this: the emmerine, it's it's a byproduct of raptor and eclipses that's line bred for certain traits uh, color wise. Um, that's that's all G Project Emmerine, Slice Emmerine, like that's all that all those you know things are. They're they're all the same, you know. You can look at them all the same way. Um, it's just how they are selectively bred after they've been these byproducts to what they look like. I mean, more carrot tail, you know, more orange, more 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 striping, more more lavender down the back. So it all depends on the animals that are being used that are being crossed into the white and yellows as to what the white and yellow babies are going to look like. And you definitely can produce some really, really crazy um, things. And it's it's almost like a lot of people are going away from the solid colored animals into more of the patterned animals, and especially with the white and yellows because it, it it definitely like makes it a little bit more weird um, whenever you do that because then it brings out those lavenders and greens that I was talking about before that on like a normal emmerine animal, it wouldn't be that intense um, just because mm-hmm. of the pastelling out of how the, the orange and the lavender react with each other, creating the green coloration. Whenever you throw the pastel into it, it just lightens it up even more, making it appear to be more of a green animal. So, you know, that's that's basically, you know, it it definitely can enhance the, what the emmerine looks like. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and grab the next caller. Caller from the 253 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, guys. This is Elsa. Hey, Elsa. How are you? I've been kind, kind of trying to piece this together and I'm still pretty new at this, and I, I got a little confused. Does, does all the white and yellow project eventually go back to an albino of some kind? Huh. Matt, you there? What, yeah, what, what was her question again? Uh, she asked if uh, all the white and yellow stuff go back to an albino in the beginning. No, no, they were uh they were literally it was uh 
uh, it was like back in I think 98 or 99 or maybe even 96. Uh, it was just a random occurrence um, that popped out of somebody's collection um, that this animal just looked different than the rest, and then that person just kind of bred it. Um, it has nothing to do with albino. Actually, the white and yellow was actually produced before any of the albinos were actually in existence, I believe, at that point. So it has nothing to do with the albino gene or anything like that. Okay. All right, Elsa. I had to mute Elsa because we get feedback from her line. Thank you, Elsa, for your call. All right. We're going to go ahead and take the next caller. Caller from the 432 area code. I know this is. What's up, Big Daryl? Hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Uh, just just hanging, uh, hanging around and talking yellow. geckos? Yep, yeah, yep. as usual. <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, uh I, I appreciate all y'all do, and uh, all y'all do is make me have more questions. But uh, I, I'm really confused, Matt, whenever you start talking about these dominant genes coming from a biology background myself. Aren't we really misusing the term dominant? I believe it, that we're misusing a lot of terms in the reptile hobby. Okay. Um, you yeah, know, like the uh, like co-dominant, we're definitely misusing that. Um, right. it, it actually should be an incomplete dominant as far as like the right. super snow goes. Um, which you know was one of those things. Whenever I was taking my biology class too, I was like, wow, I'm really misusing a lot of stuff. Like the, right. the, the actual biology class, I was like, wow, the reptile industry really doesn't know what they're talking about, do they? Um, but uh, but that's it, it's almost like one of those things that it's just so common now as to how we discuss things, that it actually doesn't match up with the way biologists look at things, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Um, whenever, yeah. And, you know, it's always the trouble you have whenever you try to mix science and hobby. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's almost like we have our own terminology that we use that doesn't mean the same thing that what biologists use. That's the best way I can put it. And it's like a, a lot of... Um, people don't realize that, you know, we always see these, you know, Putnam squares and stuff like that, and it really has nothing to do with the percentages like that. It has to do with, you know, during the, um, you know, the cellular state, whenever DNA is crossed over, that's what causes, you know, genes to actually, you know, line up. That's why, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but like certain, you know, genes are harder to line up because of where they are on the DNA strand. So, you know, like a uh, like a bell patty, for instance. Like, I think that that's actually harder to make because of where the albino and the patty are on the the actual DNA strands. But, you know, in, in like, well, reptile world thinking, we would think that, you know, breeding head-to-head, it would be, like, you know, or the double heads together, like, one out of four babies has got to be this thick. But, you know, it's, it's or actually one out of 16, I'm sorry. Um, but it really doesn't work that way in the actual science part of it. It's just the way we think about it as a reptile hobby, totally different. And, you know, it's, um, it's like you said, we, we definitely are using or misusing, uh, like, dominant. Um, you know, to me in the reptile industry, saying dominant means that, you know, it's a specific gene, you breed that animal to anything, half the babies are going to be that animal. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, in, in actual 
you know, biology terms, it's not like that. You know what I mean? So no. So uh, yeah, in biology terms, one hundred percent of them are going to be exactly. It, 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 it's almost like the the normal type is what it you know that that's dominant. Um, yeah. So we're, we're well. And the other the other problem that I see is we don't know. You can take the white and yellow. You can take any of the three albino strains. You can take you pick pick any traits you want to. We don't know how many alleles are tied up to cause that effect. Exactly. You, exactly. You know, I mean, so being a you know white and yellow may may be using four or five different alleles. So exactly. therefore, whenever you whenever you cross this stuff up, uh, that's why you get some that are that show white and yellow and some that, uh, for lack of a better term, are low expression or whatever. It's because you don't know what is, uh, you know, how many alleles are involved, depending on what morphs you're crossing it to, how does that come into effect. I mean, there, there's so much we don't know. Yes, exactly. That, and that it's, it's uh, hard for you, it's hard for you, me, anybody to sit here and say this is exactly what's going on. Exactly. And it's, um, you know, it's, and then you add all the polygenetic traits on there and how they interact right. with each other. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> there, there's a, a lot more to it on a scientific standpoint than like any of us really would be able to understand. And until we could actually, you know, sequence the DNA of leopard geckos and every single morph and where it is on the allele and, you know, how many alleles it actually takes up and stuff like that. I mean, there, there's, you know, we're never going to know. The only thing that we right. have prove anything is our results from breeding and, you know, how things work and stuff like that. Yeah, but, um, I mean, you know, that's just, you know, you talk about results from breeding, you're right, you know, but at the end of the day, that's not 100% either. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just mean, an educated guess. Yep, exactly. And, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you breed, you know, 10 geckos or 1,000, um, you know, the results may vary. <laughs> And oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's, you know, it, it just is what it is. And um, you, you make a very, very good point is that uh, we don't follow any of the rules that uh, biology sets in front of us, actually. <laughs> so, right. it's, uh, and it's, you know, we don't use half of their terms. I mean, I mean, just even the, uh, there was like a thread the other day, uh, like with, dealing with chimerism and, like, paradoxes and stuff like that. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is out there that we see in animals that, like, we as a, you know, non-biology majors and, you know, stuff like that, like, we have no clue, like, what we're actually talking about in some of those things. Yeah, the the animals that they're calling chimeras right now that you see posted, yep. that, I mean, that's totally off base. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, if you if you talk to the people in the plant plant uh, you know hobby that deal with that exclusively, I mean, what people are calling in the leopard gecko hobby as chimeras is, is not. Yeah, I mean, basically all they are is like conjoined fraternal twins at that point. Um, a lot of the time with these uh, uh, with these animals, at least at least in my opinion, that's what they are. Um, you well, know, most of in my opinion, if they're putting up there, they're 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 calling them chimeras because they have two different uh, colors and patterns or whatever, and that's what yep. they're basing that on. But at the end of the day, it's it's not. They're just they're just pied. Just so like what about ball the animals that are? What about the ones that are half albino and half normal? What are those? 
Yeah, that's what that's what we're talking about, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, so those, those aren't chimeras, then. Well, the 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 problem is, is we we <laughs> man, we're getting we're gonna get deep here. The yeah, problem is, the is we use the term albino in the leopard gecko industry, and they're not really albinos. I right. mean, they are, but they're not the the term that everybody likes to think is albinos, which is solid white, red eyes, just in lab lab mice or whatever, people, monkeys, whatever. You're dealing with uh, different allele traits in the three different strains. Possibly, I'm not. I'm not convinced that they are. And you know, they're we're calling them albinos, but really, they're that's a stretch. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, what about the what about the blizzards? Now, just to not change the subject too much, but you know, head blizzards usually you can almost tell uh, a head blizzard from you know a normal gecko. Do you think? It's it's proper to to consider a blizzard a recessive, even though the heads can be seen visually in a lot of cases. Uh, that that's that's definitely a you know a, a question that has been asked by you know a few people. Um, that you know that possibly could be an incomplete dominant as well, um, or right. the reptile hobby would call that a you know a codon. Um, right. <laughs> Um, right. But uh, you know, it, again, that that is a possibility. Um, same thing with the patternless. Um, you know, certain animals can have markers, and it, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Unless in, or until you know, genetic you know research is is really being done with people that are way out of our you know um, our <laughs> IQ range. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it, we're never really going to know, and we're probably making ourselves look like fools in a way to the actual, you know, well, actual it, genetic community and the, in certain aspects. The secret behind that, we may not want to know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah, we, we might not want to. I, I have a sneaky, I have out. a sneaky feeling, and it's just me. I have a sneaky feeling that if you were to run a, a gene sequencing. Uh, on the leopard geckos that we have in the hobby in the U.S. today, that that they're all intertwined. Yeah. Whenever you start well, dealing with the three morphs, the, or the three albino, quote unquote, lack of a better term, three albinos, I think that all the inbreeding that's going on in the U.S. and abroad, for that matter, you're gonna at the end of the day, if they were to do a true gene sequencing on all of this and and look at it, you're you're gonna be Surprised at how closely related they all are. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like I said. I mean, a lot of the white and yellows in the U.S. can be traced back to one male. I mean, it's uh, and you know, it's so you know, a lot of these collections that are like super huge, uh, like what they were talking like hundred thousand animals. I mean. You know, all that stuff's related. Like, you exactly. know, it's not like it's not like they're going out and you know buying, you know, twenty thousand new leopard geckos a year just to you know strengthen their bloodlines. I mean, you know, and these guys have been around for a long time, so well, you know, they don't every care. animal they just in that, numbers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's and they don't they don't care they don't care what the genes are. All the you know, it's it's it's. Uh, you know they're 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 looking at numbers. They they don't care about what morph they're producing, what genetics are behind it. They're just looking at numbers. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, right, you know, if you look at it, if you, if you look at it on a big scale, I mean, they, we, you know, they're all coming from a very narrow uh, gene pool. The hobby animals, you know, are coming from a very narrow gene pool. You know, not counting the the species stuff that are coming in that are that are stricter locale. You know, but I mean, as far as the stuff that we're dealing with in the hobby and everybody's playing with and making beautiful geckos out of, I mean, they're they're all pretty narrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, up until yeah. we started really importing the, uh, the the wild types and stuff like that, uh, you know, whatever it was, probably eight, ten years ago, I mean, there was nothing that was coming out of, uh, you know, the Pakistan, Afghanistan region for years. Right. So, I mean, right. literally every animal in captivity, it's like you're saying, I mean, there, there was probably what, maybe a handful, like two hundred-ish animals, like originally. I mean, it's, I mean, look at crested geckos, right. for instance. I mean, crested geckos, all of them that are in captivity came from like I think it was like two hundred animals that were, you know, that were brought out of New Caledonia. I mean, because right. they thought they were extinct. And actually, the you know crested geckos, you know, were considered extinct um, up until you know probably ten years ago, I think. And that's whenever, right. you know, they found them, they brought them in. Um, I think it was... Uh, like 15 years ago, uh, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And, I mean, they only brought in, you know, a handful. I mean, it wasn't like thousands. And, I mean, sh- shit, there's uh, how many thousands of crested geckos. I mean, we're, we're probably close to, like, you know, more than, well, I wouldn't say a million. But uh, easily, you know, a couple hundred thousand are produced a year. And, yeah. you know, you're looking at a very, very small gene pool to begin with. It, it's actually kind of amazing that more genetic things haven't popped out of crested geckos than what, I mean, what we've seen. I mean, we've only really seen that one pied-looking animal. And, I mean, I don't even know if they've proven that to be genetic or not at this point. Right. Um, so Well, I mean, the, and, and, you know, the, the other thing is you look at all the gecko, that's why the weird stuff popped out of the leopard geckos in a very short time, in my opinion. It's, you know, I've talked to Dave about this before. It's all a numbers game. The more numbers you produce, the bigger the odds. And the other thing is on that is there's no telling what's been produced, just like you in the marble. You know, you caught that, at a you know, according to your video, on just getting back from a show and saying, hey, this thing looks different. You know, how many things have passed on from somebody like myself that had just started breeding that didn't catch it? Yeah. You know, and it got and you know it got passed on, and some kid got it and and didn't know how to take care of it, and it died, and we didn't even know what it was. You know, I mean, yep. we missed it, so to speak. Yep. I I actually, whenever I first started breeding leopard geckos, um, I hatched out an animal that was it was green. I mean, it was like the whole animal was. I mean, like the whole body, because I mean, it still had like the whitish looking tail, but I mean, this animal was green. It was like this hunter green color. I actually. Uh, like I, I, I was, I had like four animals, or not four animals, but probably like ten, fifteen animals at the time. And I actually contacted Ron, and I was like, you know, do you want this animal because it needs to be reproduced? And right. you know, I, I was still, you know, very, very young in my career as far as like, you know, breeding leopard geckos and keeping them and stuff like that. And it ended up getting, it, it got about twenty grams, and it got an eye infection and ended up dying. And wow. still to this day. I feel like it was something that I lost. You, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's uh, yeah. And it's and it's one of those crazy things where I would love to go to one or to all three of the biggest producers in the you know in the country and just look through their collection and try to find something. 
because I know like that I'd be able to find something that they would just be like, oh yeah, it's just another freaking leopard gecko. And yeah, because they like don't care. Saying, that's ten yeah. bucks. I'm selling it to Petco. Yep. And <laughs> you know, if you don't think that they've you know hatched out you know raptors by producing them themselves and stuff like that, you're crazy. Because I mean, exactly. like I'm sure that they've you know, I mean, look at how many of these like fifty fifty animals that they've produced like. I mean, I, I I personally know somebody at the Bell's facility, and, like, I'm always asking about, like, the weird stuff and, you know, the 50-50s and stuff like that, and they get probably three or four a year. So, I mean, and, and just to yeah. have that, I mean, that's crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that takes, you know, thousands of animals produced to even come close to catching up something that crazy. And then to be able right. to produce like a few of them a year, I mean that's that's just like that uh, the animal that I have that's the the max snow with the super snow albino head. I mean that thing is just like how how does that animal even exist? You, you know what I mean? Right. And it's you know it's just that like like you're saying it's the numbers. Sure, exactly. That leads me to the question: You're talking about the white and yellow possibly being or having a neurological issue. And I think y'all touched on it a little bit. I kind of missed a little bit of your conversation. We determined that it doesn't. No, they they don't. They don't have any neurological. You don't think? I I thought Matt said you had some that did. No, it was was two out of about a thousand that I've, you know, a couple thousand that I've hatched. And I don't think it is related to the white and yellow. I think it is just, Ah. you know, something that the animal You think it's just an issue that popped up? Yep, and then it was uh, it was able to be reproduced because you right. know the father had it. Um, because like I, mean, I said, okay. if, if, if if there if there was something like super neuro going on with them, um, you would definitely hear about it with the amount of animals that have you know that are in the U.S. as far as white and yellows. Because like I said, um, most of the white and yellows in the U.S. can be traced back to one male. So you know genetically. Right you know, you know, three, four, five, six generations, a lot of them are related, um, you know, right. by spare right. people. But with the outcrossing that was done, I mean, I sent my females that were like, you know, U.S. born, bred, raised, you know, line bred stuff from the U.S. that have never seen the European stuff uh, to Europe to be bred to a European male and then brought back over here. And then all the outcrossing that I did with mine, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that the, the gene pool is, is pretty huge at this point, to, to be totally honest, um, because, I mean, I bred them into, like, uh, Afghan crosses and, you know, different crosses of subspecies, um, because a lot of my stuff actually is outcrossed to different subspecies. I don't really label it as that, because, like, you know, I don't feel that it's, like, one of those things that's really, you know, super necessary to, like, put on there, because I don't like to throw the the names of the subspecies around too much because you know I like them as their their pure thing and you know right. to to label them as like oh well this was an Afghanicus cross like three generations ago like I, I just right. don't feel the need to you know throw that on there just to try to sell the animal you know what I mean and you know a Absolutely. lot of people that know, you know a lot of people that know me know that I do that. Um, and they know that, like, you know, a lot of the stuff that I have is, you know, extremely outcropped. Does the does the white and yellow show up in the wild type? Can you tell it? Yeah. Uh, yeah you you know, from a phenotypic, you know, instance, I mean, you can tell that it's white and yellow? 
Yep. Yeah, you can tell. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, huh. even in, like, you know, a normal compared to a, a white and yellow normal, they're right. totally different. Um, you know, then once you start adding the genes to it, it makes it even more crazy. Um, definitely the snows make it more um, more crazy. Um, you know, all, all four strains. Um, well, actually, all three strains. I haven't done the fourth one yet. Um, so it, it definitely can... And actually, the, the Afghanicus crosses into the white and yellows. It actually makes them look less like white and yellows because the Afghanicus cross is, you know, it, it's so strong with those dark, you know, pigmentations and right. stuff like that that it, 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 it makes it look a lot less like a white and yellow, if you will. Right. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that because I've got several, several of those from John you know, and I hadn't even thought about that issue until tonight. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. The Agamanus are great, aren't they? Those are just totally uh, different. Yeah, all the way around. They're awesome. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I've I've actually tried to cross them into uh, you know our our normal leopard gecko stuff, and it hasn't worked. Um, so I, don't I think, think they they're, will. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, some people say that it might. Um, but it's one of those things that I haven't seen any evidence of the of it yet, and I know that a lot of people that have Agrimanu have tried it. So it's what? you know because I mean cause yeah I just I just got ever- mine from John. I've had mine two or three months, but you know they're they're different. I mean I I I bet they won't cross. I, I you know I mean I I'd be curious to see you guys that are good at it. To see, but they're just uh, totally different body structure, different yeah. mannerisms. They're just a they're just a different lizard. If you, if you could cross a Agrimanius to a super giant, you would get a freaking beast. I would. T- uh, oh yeah, that right now it, it would I mean, it would really be Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. would it would make Godzilla look like nothing. I mean, it would be yeah. literally thirteen, fourteen inches long and probably two fifty. I guarantee yeah. you. Exactly. I mean, it would be it would be a, it would be a massive animal. It would look like a leechy on it, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The mail I got from so. John hatched out in October. Like I said, I got it probably two months ago, a little over, and it's doubled in size since I've had it. Yeah, they're they're absolutely massive. Oh man! I mean, it, it, right. it's weird. They're like they're like spidery, like in a way, yes. where their their legs are super long, heads are like huge tails are actually a little bit shorter um yeah right. it's, it's definitely a totally different body structure yeah it's crazy yep but all i right, like it they're, they're really really neat days. okay sorry guys i hate to take up all your time uh, no, no, appreciate everything y'all do matt i would love to visit with you on the phone sometime if you ever think that's possible yeah definitely um, give me a call I would I would love to visit with you because I I sit here listening to you guys and I just yeah I get more questions every day so but anyway appreciate everything you do Dave keep up the good work and uh, y'all take care all right all right Big D we'll talk to you soon thank you buddy all right Bye-bye. all right we have uh, Matt if you I want to take this last call but um, before we go I'd like to talk a little bit about the white and yellow market um, if you don't mind um, uh, sure so. Okay, let's take this last caller. Caller from the 347 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Caller, you there? 347? No? 
Okay. All right, Matt. Let's uh, let's get into the market now. Right now, white and yellows, uh, the good ones are uh, substantial. They're uh, you know they command a decent price. Now the average ones are uh, coming in around 200 or so. Sometimes even a little less. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think the market should be for white and yellows now? What do you see it happening in the future? Um. Uh, as far as the market goes, this is what I always tell everybody that asks me about pricing of any leopard gecko. And a mm-hmm. leopard gecko is only worth as much as somebody is willing to pay for it. And mm-hmm. there are definitely going to be white and yellows and other leopard geckos, for that matter, that are going to command a higher price. Um, mm-hmm. I know for a fact, like, what I do is I will actually put up animals that I feel that I will hold back for breeders for sale, but they are going to be at a premium price. If somebody's willing to pay that premium price, then, you know, they can have the animal. Um, as far as, you know, the white and yellow in general, um, you know, it's, it's like I said before, the, the lower quality ones will come down in price. Um, and, you know, how long that will take, I don't know yet. Um, it, it all depends. Uh, I actually thought it was probably going to, you know, take a little bit of a hit last year. But, you know, like you said, like, you know, the white and yellows that are really good, they, they still command a higher price, and, you know, people are willing to still spend the money on them. Um, mm-hmm. As far as things that can, can hurt the market, um, uh, you know, always overproduction, um, not only for, you know, making too many, but making low-quality ones. Um, you know, a lot of market is sometimes based on speculation as well. Um, if you got people out there that are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a killing, I'm going to produce 10,000 white and yellows, and I'm going to sell all of them and blah, 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 that just, That doesn't make the price of white and yellows go up at all. What that does is just says, oh, well, if this guy's really producing 10,000 white and yellows, I'm just going to wait until he needs to start selling them because, you know, at some point, one person can't take care of 10,000 leopard geckos. And at it's that like point, fear, it's like almost like fear mongering in the in the news, you know, like they create it, these, it is, and it's um, yeah. you know, and it happens all the time. Um, I am super careful about um, letting people know how much of anything I'm going to be producing or even what I'm producing. Um, it's one of those things that people will see what I'm producing when it's produced and when it's for sale. And, you know, even at that point, you might not know how many of something I have. Um, And that's just one of those things that I do out of protection for myself and protection out of my customers. Um, It's still a business at the end of the day, too. It it is. But at the same time, um, you know, like customer protection for me is very, very important as far as, you know, I don't want to sell somebody an animal that I charge them $1,000 for, and, you know, three weeks later, the same animal's $50, because that's, that's not how you conduct business. And it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I mean, for, for instance, um, I just acquired
acquired a very, very well-known breeder's collection, which, you know, actually we probably should have talked about that at some point as well. And we can talk about it. We can go into it the time if you like. That, okay. Um, I, I acquired um, Albie from Albie to Cole's Reptiles Collection. Um, mm-hmm. And it started off where, you know, I was actually just interested in one project. And that actually turned into, well, let's just get all of them. Get everything. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, because, you know, Albie is, uh, you know, focusing more on the ball pythons at this point, And he wanted to, you know, in a way, pass the torch. And, like, we have an agreement that if he ever wants to get back into them, like, he knows where to go. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely better than piecing out his collection and, you know, us losing the, the genetics. Um, and I think that's, right. you know, one of the, the good selling points that, you know, we had in our deal was that, you know, the, the genetics won't be lost and I'll, I'll try to keep them as pristine as they were given to me. And that, that's mm-hmm. kind of very important to me. So, but at the same time, I also have to, you know, make sure that everything is what it is before, you know, stuff starts being sold and stuff like that. So in, you know, what I have to do is make sure it is what it is and then then will come, you know, the marketing of it and all that other stuff. And what I am going to be doing um, is actually having, you know, how they have classic cars. There is going to be a line that, you know, not a line, there's going to be multiple lines of classic animals that I am going to be producing and releasing in limited basis, and that is it. And it's going to be, um, they're going to be definitely higher in price, but they are going to be, you know, original strains of specific animals that are untouched, unchanged, and not crossed um, will, you know, basically be, you know, the the reasoning for them in the first place. I mean, Albie's tangerines, his dorsal stripes, his, um, his line bread snows, those are all things that should never be lost because yeah. he, he, he put, you know, years into those animals. Um, and I mean, it, it's actually amazing that he didn't just scrap the line bread snow pro- or project in the first place, whenever the, the, the max snows actually came out and um, <laughs> right? he still has them. I mean, he yeah. literally kept, he literally kept them on the shelf for, I think it was like four or five years and never even bred them because he knew that at some point these, his animals would be worth something again, and that 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 takes a lot. You know what I mean? So, but you gotta um, have respect too for what he put into it. I mean that. Exactly, I mean, yeah, of course exactly. we got the max. Yeah, I mean, not everybody's gonna appreciate the work, but if you know the history of it, well, that you know, that's, that's if you can appreciate these animals like we do, that's that's a nice thing to have in the collection. Yeah, and that's and that's what uh, you know what I'm gonna be doing. They're they're literally going to be released in small numbers they're not going to be overproduced they're going to be um they're going to be for the connoisseurs of of leopard geckos literally and um he actually gave me another project that like nobody even knows about that because uh, he i don't think he's ever sold any of them but he actually has imagine his tangerine in a bell albino and hmm. that's the one project and you know hmm. these animals they're they're slightly older, 
but you can tell that these things are going to produce screamers. I mean, we're talking, wow. you know, bell albinos that are super, super rich in color, and we're talking like 70 to 90% carrot tail. And oh, wow. that, that's after they've been, they're, they're probably two or three years old. So they've already started to lose some of their carrot tail just from age. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure that these things, whenever they were in the prime of their life, like 30, 40 grams, I mean, these things you would need sunglasses for. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be, you know, another project that is, is going to be classified in this, you know, classic, you know, project stuff that um, I'm going to keep them as they are. And, um, you know, Marsha's patties, Marsha's blizzards, um, you know, the the pure eclipse stuff that I have that I've actually not, I've, I've been very careful to actually not breed for them for the last few years. Um, and, like, I have pure eclipses that, like, I will start selling again um, probably either this year or next year. And, you know, it's just going to be those single gene-like type things where they are, you know, the classics, they're untouched. Actually, I got some other stuff from Albie, too, uh, that were pure fire waters uh, from Dan the Fireman and uh, pure uh, raining red raining red stripes from uh, Jeremy Leckie. And, like, nice. pure stuff like that, like, like, doesn't even exist. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things where, like, you know, people say that they have, like, the, the raining red stripes and stuff like that, but at this point, like, they're all crossed. I mean, these yeah. ones are, like, literally older animals that, you know, they, they came directly from, you know, the, the people that made them famous. And, you know, to yeah. have stuff like that in my collection um, is is humbling, and it's also, like, a, a sense of responsibility as well. You know what I mean? And it's, And I don't want these morphs to fade away like um like the a&m jungle giants did where like you know we now i have to like try to remake them um but it's never going to be the same you know what i mean it's it you you don't want to ever lose like these certain lines of things and then you never can get it back so you know that's that's what you know there i have a lot of projects that are like that but then there's also like the you know the crazy stuff that i'm you know known for so it's um, it's one of those things where, you know, there's so many projects that I have um, that it would actually almost be impossible to tell everybody about all of them because I think it would just, like, confuse people. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, it, it's one of those type of deals where, you know, there's just no, I mean, it, it's limitless. And it's always compounding on itself. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, a, a huge collection and a huge undertaking and a lot of work. And, um, you know, that's, uh, and, you know, certain times you, you gotta, you know, really buckle down and stay motivated to, to do it. Um, because, you know, like I said, like the last six, nine months, um, have definitely been really, really hard. And, you know, now that the babies are hatching out, um, you know, it, it kind of, you know, makes it all worth it at that point just to, just to see the new babies um, is is amazing. Even to this day, um, with all the animals that I've ever hatched, you know the the hatching of a new baby, um, especially after how long it's been since I've hatched out a baby, um, it was it was definitely something special. I mean, it really was because I mean, I literally went 
uh, I mean, I had my last babies hatch, like, probably August, September. And, you know, the first babies didn't hatch till about a month ago. And that's, that's probably the longest that I've ever gone without, you know, having eggs in the incubator and, you know, and, and babies, like, hatching. I mean, it, and it's, uh, and with everything that went on, um, it was, uh, you know, it was definitely a, a little bit of a rocky road. You know, Matt, um, a lot of people don't understand uh, how how difficult it is to actually uh, manage a large collection and then do everything else that life entails on top of it. And it can be more than time job and, or two full-time jobs sometimes. And, um, you know, what would you say to somebody that just doesn't get it, uh, you know, doesn't understand what some of us actually struggle through to, to produce these amazing creatures? What would you say? Um, actually, the uh, something, you know, the other night whenever I was watching, it was actually the deadliest catch really resonated with me. And it was, um, those guys always say that, they're married to the boat and having a collection like I do, I'm married to the collection. I mean, it literally envelops you and um, it can definitely put a strain on, you know, family life. Um, It can put a strain on, you know, finances, uh, it can put a strain on a lot of things and there are times where it can take you to the breaking point. Um, no matter, you know, how well, um, you know, things seem to be going, uh, you never really know until you're in the, that person's shoes. Let's put it that way. Um, you can't just and, walk away from something you've invested so much time love, energy, blood, sweat, and tears into you. can't just take a break from it. You can't walk away from it, no matter how hard life gets, right? That's, that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, after the, you know, the last six, nine months, um, you know, there, there was definitely some, you know, struggle with that as to, is this really what I need to do? Um, and, you know, it, uh, it, it's definitely hard. I mean, you know, if you take a look at a lot of, um, you know, and we, we call these quote-unquote successful, you know, breeders in the hobby, um, you know, the divorce rate is very high. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and it is, um, you know, it, it can definitely be a strain on a family um, because it, it's like I said, you're, you're married to your collection, whether you like it or not. Um, once you get to a certain point, um, like you're married to it. And it is their, you know, good times and bad. And, you know, you got to deal with it. And there's no getting a divorce from it um, <laughs> unless you are willing to let it all go. Um, and uh, full, um, I, I've seen some people. Uh, over the years walk away from their collections and I've seen some people that have stayed with the collection and walked away from everything else in their life and it's it's definitely a decision that uh, you know sometimes people have to make um, 
and you know it's it's just one of those things uh you know and it's uh you know so what I would suggest for all the young listeners out there um is to stay in school, get a degree, get a job that you love, and do this on the side because right. if you don't um you know, it it could be very detrimental to the rest of your life. And um yeah. you know, this this isn't for everybody. I mean, you're you're more likely to be uh you know, a professional MBA star um than to be a professional reptile breeder. And that's just the reality of it. Um there's only a, a handful of people that can actually do this for a living um, and even at that point, like there's uh, there's still a lot of financial struggle. I mean, a lot of a lot of people in leopard geckos are um, in it, like not as a. I mean, it, it's full business to to people that have other jobs. Like I don't want to undermine that at all because I mean, a, a, it's almost like a second job to a lot of people. Um, but you know, a lot of them still have jobs. And they, you know, they do the nine to five thing, and then they do the geckos from, you know, ten at night till two in the morning. Um, I know a lot of people that are like that. That, you know, the the family comes in between there, and then you know they they stay up late nights, you know, working with the animals. So, mm-hmm. but it's it, it's part of them, and you know you can't take that away from them either, because you know they they would probably be unhappy people if you know, they couldn't have the reptiles and work with the reptiles. Um, you know, I know for a fact that like, you know, it, it would, it would definitely take a straight, like a toll on me if I couldn't work with animals at all. Um, in, in some aspect and, you know, to have grown my collection to what it is now, um, it would be extremely hard to walk away from it. Um, totally. Uh, I don't, and yeah. you know, I don't know if I would ever be able to, actually to be totally honest that's how i'm feeling that's how i'm feeling right now matt i'm like at the point with my projects where i have several years invested now like who would i trust to know all these little inside things that i know about these geckos and their history and everything and to just walk away it's like oh my god everything i've put into it i i mean i'm kind of like halfway to where you probably are and i'm starting to feel it already and i'm like you know this is something i'm married to i mean i I love this so much that I'm suffering through a mealworm allergy. I mean, on top of everything, and you and I both have this crazy allergy to mealworms, which really puts a cherry on top of the whole thing, don't you think? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's always great, like, unpacking 100,000 mealworms <laughs> and not being able to breathe. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten to the point where I have to wear a painter's mask, still do it, like, you know, unpack them outside, like, you know, take a shower right afterwards, like, and, you know, literally a lot of times what I do is, like, I unpack them and feed them right away um, so that I don't have to touch the millworms twice. So it's, uh, you know, like five days of cleaning, one day of suffering with the millworms, and then try to recover for, like, the next two, three days. And then, right. you know, then, right. you know, start doing it and then start all over again. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely it's it can be hard on your <laughs> It can definitely be hard on your health, hard on, you know, family, hard on your finances. Um, so, 
Uh, my recommendation to anybody who wants to start breeding leopard geckos is keep it as a hobby. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's you're not going to make a million dollars doing this. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you think you're going to breed leopard geckos and make deer out of your mind, I mean, you might as well start <laughs> playing Powerball because you've got a better chance of making a million off of Powerball than you do off of uh, breeding right. leopard geckos. Yep. yep. And, you know, um, you somebody, like, in your position, Matt, You've, uh, and I think um, people that don't know you very well, I think have have misunderstood you in a lot of ways. And um, someone in your position where you've been able to uh, have the successes with morph making that you've had and the overall impact on the, the leopard gecko world in general that you've had, you've been the subject of a lot of envy and uh, attacks against you and stuff, and uh, you've never been one to back down from that, and you've often you know, defended yourself very well. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not always the nicest thing people see, but when people come at you, you know, how do you feel? How does that make you feel when people come at you with, with envy and, and even hate? I mean, everybody in the spotlight has a hater there, you know, somewhere along the line. Um, you're no, you're no different. How do you deal with that? And, and um, I noticed you've made some changes to your online, uh, you know, online activity. What, what, what's going on? What do you think? Um, it, that, that part's definitely been an evolution as well. Um, there were, you know, definitely, you know, years ago when I would tell somebody to kiss my bleep and, you know, show them, um, yeah. and that's, that's actually been documented. Um, you know, and it, I, I've definitely, you know, calmed down over the years, um, and definitely over the last six to nine months, um, you know, definitely it, it came to a little bit of a head and it's, it's one of those things now where, um, you know, I, I actually, it's like, it's like you said, I made some changes. Um, and it's, it's definitely for the betterment of myself and my well being at this point, um, that, uh, I, I don't really even go online a lot anymore. Um, I used to go on every day and check out every single little thing that's going on everywhere and blah, blah, blah. And I've literally had to, and I mean, it it was an addiction. I mean, it really was. And um, like any addiction, it takes, you know, something major happening to either have you stop or, or something has to trigger you to realize that it's not worth it. And, uh, you know, it definitely got to that point where it's it's not worth it. I was spending more time online dealing with, you know, drama, if you will, than, you know, than actually working with the animals that I love. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of those things where I had to take a couple steps back and um, reevaluate what, uh, what was going on. And, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, look at things differently. And, you know, even if I would walk away today um, from leopard geckos, that still won't change, you know, anything that I've done since I've been working on leopard geckos. Do you know what I mean? Like, the stuff that I've already done, like, it's done. It's set in stone. Like, I've already accomplished things. Um, And I can't let, you know, people's words, like, try to make me feel bad for you know, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've accomplished mm-hmm. things that, you know, people haven't. And it's, 
you know, it's one of those things that that gives them the satisfaction of me going off on a tangent um, and actually acknowledging that they exist whenever, in the grand scheme of things, like, doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And, it's like trying to take um, away. Uh, it's like trying to take away. Uh, you know, Don Mattingly's record. It's set in stone. You're not going to take it away. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that. Um, you know, a lot of times the people with the biggest mouths have nothing to back up what they're saying, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's. You know, it's it's one of those things that. You know. I've seen a lot of people come and go in the industry and it's, you know, one of those things that, you know, I'm sure I'll see a lot more people come and go and, mm-hmm. you know, it's no need to get my feathers all ruffled about it. So, um, I actually, you know, just got to the point where I don't care anymore. Um, as far as, you know, this, um, you know, this online drama stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, um, I'm kind of just trying to stick to my own page and, um, you know, try to produce the best leopard geckos that I can. And, you know, that's going to be it. Um, it's, yep. it's one of those things that uh, it, it's actually kind of freeing in a way that the animals are now no longer in the house that I live in. So now I get up, I go to work, um, work on the animals, I come home, and that's it. Like, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I mean, it's it's definitely, yeah. you know, more of a, a nine-to-five thing now where I don't have to, um, you know, whenever I come home, it's, it's about being home. It's not about, yep. you know, what's somebody saying on this blog or what's somebody saying on that blog or oh, my God, how's this going to affect, you know, my reputation, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's, that's something that you you just have to evolve into. And you have to stop worrying about all the other people and just worry about what you're doing. And, um, you know, make sure that you're producing um, or, or doing the best that you can in whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, producing leopard geckos or if it's, you know, you know, if you're still in school and, you know, taking five classes, do the best that you can in those five classes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and don't worry about, you know, what, you know, Jimmy is doing, you know, in his five classes. Who cares? I mean, make right. make every day, you know, make yourself better. And if yep. you're doing that, you know, who cares about the rest? I mean, you know, all these other people that do these kind of things are literally have, you know, nothing else better to do. And yep. last time I checked, uh, I have an amazing collection of leopard geckos that I still have to tend to. So, <laughs> you know, I, I would rather be doing that than, you know, giving a crap about, you know, what what Joe Blow says on a freaking, you know, Facebook page. You know what I mean? So, with, it's, with uh, 10 geckos and two years of experience, right? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, of course, they're going to take over the leopard gecko world. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, they can, you know, people can say whatever they want, but at the end of the day, it's, it's actions that, you know, prove things. Um, so, yeah. it's, you know, and, you know, to be honest, I I actually want to give, you know, a big thank you to all my fans and all 
you know, the people that have uh, have supported me over the last, you know, six, nine months. Um, you know, a lot of my fans don't know really, you know, what has happened in the last six to nine months, and I'm definitely not going to go into it in detail or <laughs> even go into it uh, on, on live radio. Um, Smart. But, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, I appreciate every like that I get on Facebook and every view that I get on YouTube and all the all the comments of, you know, you know, your YouTube videos, you know, made me get into this, blah, blah, blah. I might not respond back to people about it, but, like, I appreciate every single person that looks at any picture or any video that I put up. I appreciate every single one of them. And Mm -hmm. there are definitely a few people in the community that, um, you know, they know who they are, and I don't want to, like, say their names or anything like that. Um, but they were there for me whenever I needed them um, the last six to nine months. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say thank you to them. And, you know, like I said, they know who they are. Um, I was in contact with them almost, you know, every day to, you know, at least a couple times a week. And um, those are the true friends, the ones that are there for you whenever shit's not going right. Um, and, you know, you you know, and stuff just isn't, you know, is going downhill. Um, everybody's with you whenever everything's going well and everything is going uphill yeah. and, you know, they all, you know, they all want to get on the bandwagon. But it's the it's the people that are there, you know, whenever things aren't going right that, you know, those are the ones that you want to have around you, not these, uh, you know, keyboard warriors that, uh, you know, just like to cause issues. Yeah, and those people are always fewer in our lives, but they're the ones that that matter, you know? Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. So. Yeah. Well, yep. I, I'm expecting some good things uh, to see this season. Matt, what do you think? Uh, you're excited uh, about what, what the future is going to bring? Like I said, let's let's hope so. And, you know, I wish let's everybody see, yeah. listening to this, like, that they have great seasons as well. And, you know, hopefully mm-hmm. the... Uh, you know, we'll be able to wow each other with, you know, the stuff that we're producing. And, you know, it's it's one of those things like, uh, you know, like I, I, I kind of touched on this earlier that like, you know, before I might not have been as, you know, grateful for every single baby that was hatching. Um, but definitely over the last six to nine months, it it has gotten to that point where like you're grateful for, you know, every baby that is hatched out just because you know the the struggles that you've had in the last six to nine months. And, you know, everything seems more important now whenever you have had that feeling of, you know, you could have lost it all and it could have all been gone. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you, you just have to, you know, kind of re- hit the reset button every once in a while and, um you know, it's it's for the betterment of everything, um, and you know, like I said, we'll we'll see what happens this year as far as what I produce and stuff like that. But uh, you know, it's 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 going to be for the betterment of everything, no matter what's produced, and you know, like how many babies I hatch and all that other stuff. Like it's it's all going to be, you know, it's all going to be good from here on out. Yep, I'm sure, and you know. Um 
I just uh, seriously though, I just want to thank you for for uh, coming on the show and uh, supporting the show. And you know, even when I was having my difficulty with the old show, uh, you know, you supported you supported me, and you know, it's you and other people that uh, pushed me to keep going with this. That if I didn't, you know, have that support, I would have never realized the, the huge success of this show. So, you know, thank you for your support for you know with Gecko Nation too. So. Uh, it means a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem, Dave. And you know, thanks for having me on again. And you know, hopefully, we'll we can make this a a more regular occurrence as well. Now that I'm out of hibernation and have woken up a little bit. Um, and, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you know, um, sometimes it's good to take a little bit of time away to, like I said, hit the reset button, and you know, get priorities where they need to be before you continue on and, you know, do better things. You know what I mean? And that's and that's that's yeah. definitely what you've gone through with, you know, with what has happened, you know, to you in the past year as well. And um, you know, it's it it just boils down to you just have to persevere through everything and, you know, not all the times are gonna be good. Um and it's how we respond to the bad times that, you know, really, you know, make us who we are. And uh, it just makes you a stronger person at the end of the day. And, you know, it, it makes you more grateful for the things that you have. Damn straight. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, we talked uh, we talked about maybe doing some kind of, uh, you know, more often the roundtables or Ask the Breeder sessions. Um, you know, you have an open invitation, Matt. Even if you want to co-host the show with me, whatever you want, you know, just let me know you know, we'll put it together. So. Nice. Definitely appreciate it, Dave. And, uh, you know, thanks for the offer. And, you know, we'll definitely uh, have to do something too. Cool. All right, Matt, why don't you give out your uh, information uh, so people that don't already know you, I don't know who doesn't, but you never know. Somebody <laughs> may not know you. But, uh, and yeah, really. Find um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, uh, they can find me on Facebook at uh, Sassobex World of Reptiles. Um, and, Pretty much from there, you can find out everything else. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, I think it's Sassobeck on there as well. Um, it's Sassobeck11 on uh, YouTube. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. I have Instagram, but I have, like, four pictures on there, so just don't even go. It, it's really funny. Like, I, I still have, like, a bunch of, like, I think I have, like, four or 500 followers, but I have four pictures. I mean, that just doesn't even make sense to me. But um, <laughs> I, I should I should start posting more pictures on on, on Instagram. But uh, you know it's uh, it's one of the things that the Facebook page is the best way to get a hold of me um, through private messaging me on that and to kind of stay in touch of what's going on. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And at the New York uh, White Plains Expo, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. I I do the New York White Plains Expo. Um, I usually do Chicago every every uh, Chicago show as well. Um, maybe I'll start doing some more shows here and there, um, you know, once uh, summer rolls around uh, and I have more more availability. Okay, cool. All right, well, we won't keep you any further. You did a great job tonight, Matt. I think we nailed uh, all the information needed for the white and yellow, and uh, and I'm, I couldn't I couldn't have thought of a better outcome for tonight. So, and the, and the turnout for the show was great. I could just tell, and the, I'll give you all the stats tomorrow, and uh, you know, we'll see how the show did. I'm sure it did great. Um, so yeah, all right. We'll 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 do it again again. We'll do it again in the future, Matt. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Sounds great, Dave. All right. Thanks for having me on. All right.
All right. Have a good night. You too. All right, folks. Wow. I think we nailed it. For real. Great show. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play the outro, and I will come back with my closing remarks. Stay tuned, folks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and USR. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to USARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the USARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. All right, folks, my closing remarks are this. Uh, at the close of a terrific episode like this, um, you know, it really, like Matt and I were talking about, it really just makes me think of uh, all the struggles that go into doing this on a, on a scale like uh, a lot of us are. And um, a lot of people don't see not even 10% of what goes on behind the scenes. And some people just think we just, you know, put these geckos together, the eggs hatch, and boom, we're putting them on the site. We'll look at this. But, wow, some of us really put a lot into this. Our health is compromised, our uh, our energy, our motivation, a lot, everything. And if we have other struggles in life, uh, that doesn't go away. That's still there, too. Um, but, you know, the payout is, you know, when you're dedicated to this, when you're committed to this, when you are good at this, you you just, you're constantly... Um, you're constantly amazed and you're constantly, you know, drawn back in. It's something that you can't just walk away from. Like when Steve Sykes and I were talking about how you kind of just evolve with this and it, it, it kind of pushes you and forces you to grow because when you start investing the years into these animals and into these projects and watching them develop and you know they're nowhere near being done and you have years, you have projects planned out five, even ten years out that you want to be around the state. Um, there's no quitting. There's no stopping. Um, even through this terrible meal arm allergy that I have, I swore that either that's going to kill me or I'm going to find a way to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not stopping for no stupid meal arm allergy. And obviously Matt isn't either. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's like, a, it's like a very dedicated artist that is just committed to their work. And, you know, everyone... Don't worry about what other people are doing. Other people are going to copy you. Other people are going to try to one-up you. Other people are going to try to say bad things about you. Don't worry about it. Just focus on doing what you do as good as you can do it. You may not be as good as so-and-so or 
you know, but you may be better than some other. It doesn't matter. Just do your best, and you're going to get the recognition you deserve. Either, you know, one way or another, it's going to come to you. All right? And uh, the, the, that's the biggest, that's the best thing that you guys can walk away with from this episode is to do, don't worry about what other people say or do. Just focus on your own stuff. All right. Well, I'm going to thank our amazing sponsors one by one. We don't take our sponsors lightly here. Our sponsors are handpicked, and our sponsor plugs are sincere. At the very end of the show, I'm going to play a great song. Uh, but first, I want to thank Dale's Bearded Dragons. They've been with us since the very beginning. Dale's Bearded Dragons is the biggest and best reptile supply distributor on the East Coast at all the East Coast shows and expos pretty much now. And their uh, website is up, but... They're getting their website more geared to online sales. And uh, if you guys need any kind of reptile supplies, uh, you can contact them and mention Gecko Nation Radio, and they're going to take care of you. If you go to the, any of the expos they're at, mention Gecko Nation Radio, you're going to get 10% off right off the bat. All right, dalesbeardeddragons.com. abdragons.com is the best source of dubia roaches, and they also sell FlexWatt heat tape, highest quality bloodlines of dubia, Excellent quality uh, insects, guys. Check them out. Use the word gecko at checkout for an instant 5% off, okay? That's your code for Gecko Nation. Great sponsor. All right. We have Gecko Boa. Geckoboa.com. John Scarborough is an amazing breeder. does a terrific job. Has some of the best quality geckos in the U.S. right now. White and yellows, amazing wild types. You name it, you got it. Definitely contact him at geckoboa.com, and he's on Facebook. Amazing tangerines, too, John's working on. Uh, Supreme Gecko, Wally Kern, another great breeder. Does a lot with Cresties, day geckos, micro geckos, stuff like that. Um, check him out at supremegecko.com. Gives a lot back to the community. Uh, I like a lot of what Wally's doing. So uh, definitely another great sponsor to the show. Uh, Ohio Gecko is uh, is crazy into tangerines. Thad is, does a great job. He's also the owner of geckoforms.net. That's your place to go if uh, you're a gecko fanatic like we are. Uh, definitely check out Gecko Forms and uh, check out ohiogecko.com. It's got some really unique projects in fat tails, uh, tangerines, and snows. All right. Very good breeder. Uh, let's see. Rainbow Mewworms. Rainbowmewworms.net. Use the code that I gave out earlier. It is Let's see, it's Gecko Nation, all in caps for 30% off until the end of May. Uh, you get your mealworms, your superworms from rainbowmealworms.net. They are the biggest worm farm in the world. Jillian Spence is a doll. She's amazing to deal with. And uh, my, that's where I get all my mealworms from. And that's where Ron Tremper gets all his from. And a lot of us other breeders use Rainbow exclusively. All right. And uh, Reptiles Express, one of our newer sponsors, I've been using Reptiles Express since I first started shipping my geckos. And um, I, when I first started, I really didn't know a lot about shipping. And it was kind of like a scary experience for, it is for a lot of new people because they don't understand how the process works. Call Debbie Price from Reptiles Express. She will talk you through it. She is the queen of customer service, like I always say. And they're the best company. They don't, uh, they, they have the lowest rates that I've found and the best customer service. And uh, right now they're doing a special promotion. Um, they haven't inflated their prices either for this promotion. Their prices are the same. And 
The promo, promo code is GeckoNation10, all in caps, okay? And you're going to get a 10% discount on any order over $50, and it's good for two, uh, for two orders, all right? So if you have some shipping, shipping to do, take advantage of this discount. You're going to get the lowest rate anyway with them and an additional 10% off using the code. So definitely check it out. Um, Ron Tremper, the king of leopard geckos. No one has been more instrumental in the world of leopard geckos here in America than Ron Tremper. For over 30 years, he's been developing his bloodlines. Incredible, incredible morphs. He just got married, and uh, congratulations, Ron, uh, to you and Helene. A new gecko power couple enters the game. And, uh, wow, she's adding some amazing geckos to his beautiful collection. Uh, he's the king of bandits, uh, all kinds of amazing giants, just terrific work. www.leopardgecko.com, and also download his app called Leopard Gecko Care and Leopard Gecko Pro. And Leopard Gecko Pro is like an encyclopedia of morphs, really good app. All right, and, of course, we have giantleopardgecko.com. They have uh, Keith Higgins. He's our newest sponsor. Has a, does a lot of work with giant leopard geckos, like it names the chest. Beautiful, beautiful bloodlines. Check out Keith's work at giantleopardgecko.com. And he also does some work with Cressies and Fat Tails. Nice, nice stuff. Really happy to have him on board. And last but not least, MS2 Premium Chow, Marcy. Uh, gotta love Marcy. She's a doll. And if you're looking for high-quality food for your uh, feeder insects, that's the way to go. All right, folks, uh, another great show comes to an end this upcoming Sunday. Uh, we're going to do it again, so I hope you guys can join us. Stay tuned in the Gecko Nation group for the raffle. Uh, I'll be posting it either tomorrow afternoon or the following day. All right, folks, have a good night. And here's a cool song to take us out. Listen to the words in this song because it's just got a great message. Sometimes I lay under the moon and thank God I'm breathing and I pray don't take me soon cause I am here for reasons Sometimes in my tears I drown but I never let it get me down so when negativity surrounds I know